Tenants are legal service, uh, state law advisors, and all who are in attendance, um, uh, participants, we are welcoming you and uh, continue with our uh, portfolio committee work. And on behalf of members of, of the committee, we extend our greetings. <clears throat> we must indicate that uh, there's a, a request we're going to allow to be noted that uh, members or those who are invited uh, to this meeting um, may have will suffer for uh, load shedding that will uh, contribute to the network. So we'll allow members to um, uh, to switch off uh, their video so that they secure a proper uh, network. We're aware that uh, uh, we it's important for to open the videos. I also want to apologize that uh, that will be will be affected uh, around. Uh, the past 10, but will navigate the space. I just want to make that note so that we're comfortable with the, with the challenges that they were, 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 were facing. Welcome also the uh, Commissioner Love and your commissioners and the CEO and the team of uh, executive team of IEC. <clears throat> we are going to start with the issues that we've dealt with in our last uh, committee meeting. And I would request also to uh, Mr. Matunsi to, uh, to add up. In our last committee meeting, we did uh, request it, that we need to interact on the matter of the presentation of the report uh, on the permits, uh, which could not sit in the last committee meeting because of the volume of the presentation. And we further then, uh, Minister uh, uh, requested that we ought not to present because of the unavailability of the team uh, that should accompany him. And the committee did understood and uh, processed uh, that uh, request. We then agreed that uh, we have to receive the report, uh, um, but the chair must consult with the, uh, with the team uh, we did that exercise, and we agreed that the minister will present the the report and, and release the report to members of the committee on the day of the presentation of the of the report. Um, the same matter on the permits outcome is that the <clears throat> the date which we have scheduled on the eighth of. Uh, 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 July, which is this Friday, it will not, <clears throat> sorry, will not able to present the report because of the reasons that when we deal with the um, deliberations, the committee did apply to proceed with the committee work during this recess. And we only uh, focus on the um, electoral amendment uh, bill deliberations which means therefore the program, uh, the item that must go in hand with the, with the day of the deliberation of the IEC, no, sorry, of the Electoral Act, should be the day where we include the item, uh, like we're going to do today, where itemize the electoral amendment deliberations and the government printing works. So on Friday, there's no going to be item on the uh, 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 electoral amendment bill. 
And the minister and the team requested that they need a full day, not the not full committee uh, time uh, uh, to present uh, this uh, uh, document, which we have appreciated as the, as the committee. There are two processes which we have uh, resolved on, Minister, that you must consider and note. That one, you will uh, present a summarized version uh, in our next committee meeting because we'll be continuing with the deliberations uh, of the uh, electoral amendment. You will then release the report to uh, the full report to members because we could have dealt with the uh, a summarized version. On the third term, when we reopen, the committee will allocate a time uh, for yourself and the team to come back and to deliberate on those issues that are arising from the report. At that point, we hope that the, the recommendation could have been carried and will then brief us the, uh, the progress that has been uh, 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 taken. So that is, a, is an indication of uh, our, our, our resolve on the process, how we're going to indicate to, to deal with the, to the permit uh, report. Uh, thirdly, is that it appears that the minister uh, 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 is running away to present the report. And that is an incorrect uh, narrative. We, as the committee, uh, the committee work is programmed. And if there's no slot to, for the minister to present the report, any other report uh, to the committee, we have to schedule for that uh, 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 report. And we know that. It is an important uh, uh, report that has to come to the committee. So in the next, next Tuesday, we'll then table a summarized uh, version and continue to deal with the electoral amendment uh, uh, bill. So that is the position in progress. On, the, on, the, on, on, on the issue. And I'll get members to uh, just to, to, uh, to, to indicate, to comment on that as we, we proceed. We ought to take a resolution on the issues that we've dealt with as the, as the committee so that we isolate issues that we've not uh, able to uh, find um, a consensus uh, on so that we're able to move to allow the stakeholders, which is the legal team, teams, uh, and uh, to, uh, to do a, a draft A-list uh, for purpose of finalizing uh, this amendment, amendment bill. We note that in the last committee meeting, the Department of Home Affairs indicated that they still have to go back and consult with the council um, with an intention to draft a memo on the issues that the IIC have raised. And they will identify those three issues that the DHA or the legal council of DHA may need to come back or in this meeting, just given an indication of the issues that they may have inter inter interacted with as per their, their request uh, to, to the committee. On the issue of the draw formula, which the IEC has presented and the committee in principle um, resolved that they will, will use that uh, 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 formula and on the vac vacancies and the number of ballots. So those are the three uh, issues uh, uh, which the DHA have uh, uh, indicated that will go back to the council uh, for consultation and come back to the committee. So request in this meeting, that they do give an indication of what they've uh, uh, advised uh, uh, the committee. This is the agenda as ends uh, of uh, today. Uh, we're going to have two items. The 
electoral amendment issues and the reports of the minister's task team that were dealt with the issues that were at the Home Affairs. So these are some of the uh, adopted program uh, and issues that were urgent to the attention of the, of the portfolio committee. I will then run to apologies and uh, will then get into the issues of the payments so that members uh, give uh, understanding of the process, uh, affirm the decision that we've arrived at, and then we move to the recap and the fourth item, uh, and then the minister give his uh, a, a presentation. We'll try by all means to make sure that uh, at least by the time allocated for the portfolio committee, all these items are thoroughly being uh, 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 dealt with and will uh, advise uh, on how we're able to deal with that. Mr. Matons, can I invite you for uh, apologies and then we'll have to run on the items that have been uh, presented. Mr. Matons? Yes, Chairperson, I've got three apologies. One from Ms. Father Merve. The other one is from Ms. Tito. She says she might be joining late. She's taking a flight. Uh, Ms. Mulegwa, she's, Mulegwa, she's in the meeting, but uh, she said no, her voice, uh, she has a problem with her voice because of school, so she will not uh, be able to, to speak at the meeting today. Thanks, Chairperson. That's all. Okay. Any other apology, uh, Minister? Yeah, no, Chairperson, it's, it's not an apology, it's a request. I noticed from the program that we are going to spend two and a half hours on the electoral things. And I noticed that the team for item five, both the staff and the panel are here in the meeting. They are going to be sitting for two and a half hours uh, instead of being at work, listening to something that really has nothing to do with them. May I apologize for them to go out and they'll come back after two and a half hours. If what I see on the agenda is going to be followed like that, it's just a request because some of them are employed in very important sections of, of government and society. Thank you. We'll do that. Honorable, uh, sorry, uh, Commissioner uh, Love. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. I just wanted to confirm that when you are having the deliberations on the Electoral Amendment Bill, is that when you would want um, the IEC, in particular the CEO, to make the presentation around some of the feedback. I, I just wanted to have an understanding when you would like us to come in. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I think Mr. Matunsi might have not uh, reworked the agenda. Uh, that's why I said I'll come back to the uh, to the agenda. We're going to step off the deliberation at level. Um, then we'll invite the minister and his task team to, uh, uh, to present uh, on on the on the report that will suggest that the uh, uh, minister, if your request uh, will stand, in um, uh, it's up to the the, the team uh, uh, to uh, to cooperate with your request. We, as the committee, we were indicating that will step will step off the IEC. No, sorry, the election electoral amendment deliberation at eleven o'clock so to allow. 11, yes, 11 o'clock, so to allow the, uh, the report to be presented and allow members to, to deliberate. We're going to receive the presentation, uh, not the responses from the IC on item four, uh, Commissioner Love. And uh, after that, members will, uh, will deliberate. We'll get indication from the, from the recap 
will get a Department of Home Affairs legal team or legal counsel on the issues that they've requested us to, to come back to us, whether they what is the indication, then we'll invite the IEC, then deliberation. That is an order. We didn't want to include many things on that. I think that is an order, uh, members, on the issues that we have. Uh, is that in order, uh, uh, Commissioner Laf and the Minister? Can I start with the Minister? Yes, Chair. That's in order. I understand it that way. Uh, Commissioner Laf? That's, that's fine, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, apologies were noted. Um, can I then get understanding if we understand each other uh, members of the reports that we are bringing to you on the issue of the payments? Can I start with Honorable, uh, Honorable Ross, Honorable Pile, Honorable Kanile, Honorable Lohase, uh, um, Honorable. Uh, Mutise, in that order. Uh, thanks, Chair. Um, Proceed, Honourable. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Chair, I think it's okay. It's just uh, that um, I, I think they. I, I, I don't know if it was if I heard it correctly that that you were saying that um, we would receive a summarised version of the report. Um, my understanding is we'd receive the report and then just a brief summary of it in, in the presentation and then consider it next term. Uh, because I imagine a report like that would have a lot of information that that we would need to then go over in preparation for for the next term. And we won't be able to do that on a, on a summarized report. So we would need to receive the full report. Um, and then uh, for sure, uh, with the understanding that it would be deliberated in the next term uh, fully. Thank you. Otherwise, with everything else, I'm happy, Chair. Okay, thank you. Another play. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. Thank you for the update and the brief. I want to concur with the um, submissions made, and I support the view that we receive a um, summarized presentation. However, we will, we will still get that opportunity for a full day to be able to deliberate. I think it also will assist us as members to be able to thoroughly go through the report and understand it so that we may be able to raise pertinent discussions uh, when the time arises. So thank you for that. Yeah. No, thank you very much, Honorable Kanyele. Good morning, Chair. Good morning, colleagues. Yes, Chairperson, we are in support that we are going to have the presentation done next week by, by the minister, and then we'll be giving them a full report that we are going to go through in preparation for the next term. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Honorable Jose. Thank you very much, Chair. I would like to be in support and agree with my previous colleagues that we be finished finished with a summary version of the report and at a later stage get a presentation or get to engage with the presentation. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Ramulobe. Honorable Mudise. Thank you very much, Chair. We support uh, as it has been uh, put in order for us. Uh, we'll get the presentation on Tuesday and and be finished with the full report 
that we'll deal with in the next term. So we support that, Chair. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks very much, uh, members. Uh, Mr. Matons will indicate if other members, uh, particularly Honorable Tito, has joined the meeting. Um, I'm unable to track the attendance on my on my site. Now we can move to the recap uh, item number uh, three. Thank you. Can you proceed? Thank you, Chairperson. Um, I believe uh, the legal section is going to be presenting. I haven't been given permission to host yet. Okay. Yeah. But I must indicate uh, first before so that it's, it's clearer on the uh, on the issues. Is the work that we 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 do post the committee work. Uh, with the particular with the content advisor um, and uh, sort on the issues that the parliamentary legal service uh, might have taken notes so that we track issues uh, that must be uh, presented in the committee on the principal decisions. But as I've indicated earlier on, we need to take resolutions so that we're able to proceed with the with the with with the with the A list. Yeah, thank you. Let's proceed. Uh, good morning, Chairperson, and good morning to honorable members and colleagues. Um, Chairperson, like you have already indicated, we, we have prepared the document. And I understand that the document has been circulated to the members. Uh, what I propose to do, Chairperson, is to really focus on the red areas of our document. Uh, the approach we have adopted, Chairperson, like you said, we are trying to, to facilitate the issue of decision-making for the purposes of the A-list that we have to draft for the committee. So the approach we adopt here is really geared towards achieving that end goal. We have divided uh, the, 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 the document into themes uh, just for the purposes of ease of reference. We start with clause one, Chairperson, which is definitions. And we only speak to the issues that were discussed by the committees over the past couple of weeks, uh, where there may have been deliberations and decisions made or where there are decisions that are outstanding. Uh, in clause one, Chairperson, there was a discussion around the use of the terminology of province and region. Our understanding, Chairperson, maybe I should start with this. This is our understanding of the deliberations. And of course, we accept, Chairperson, that there may be different understanding of what the committee had agreed on or disagreed on. But this is our understanding, and we welcome any correction if we understood it incorrectly. We understand the committee to have reached a consensus on the definition of the two terms, province and region, and that they should be retained 
in the bill as they are. However, Chairperson, on the next one of the party liaison committees, we understood the committee to have agreed in principle that independent candidates must be accommodated within the concept of party liaison. This in practice, Chairperson, suggests that what you now refer to as party liaison committees must be broadened not only in terms of content, but in terms of terminology as well. The IEC has made what we consider to be a pertinent proposal of changing the name from party liaison to political liaison committee. Although in principle, there is that agreement, I mean, there is that agreement on the, on the broadening of the word or the terminology. In our view, the committee is yet, is yet to decide on whether it accepts the proposal by the IEC or consider an alternate name. I think for the purposes of drafting the A-list, a decision has to be made on that. This, the second issue, Chairperson, that comes up is the issue of party candidates registered to vote in a region. But Chairperson, we propose to deal with this when we go to clause four because it is related to that issue. If, if Telana could just move to clause four. Clause four, Chairperson, deals with a couple of issues. One issue which was discussed in the committee is the issue of residency. And the second issues is the issues that are related to requirements for registration, which is the issue of signatures and deposits. Starting with the issue of residency, Chairperson, and we have stated this before, that this is a requirement that is required of independent candidates. But the similar requirement is not in place for political parties. And this was the area of concern as to whether it is fair in the circumstances of trying to accommodate independent candidates that you have this requirement specifically for the independent candidate. And we refer chairperson as examples for the committee to consider to the local government, I mean, Municipal Electoral Act that there, there is no requirement of residence other than that the person who nominates the candidate must be resident and registered to vote in a particular ward. This is an issue that we think should be considered for national and provincial elections as well for, for, for the independent candidate. What we understand is that the committee still has to make a decision on the issue. The next one, Chairperson, is the issue, if you could just move down, is the issue of, of signature as one of the requirements. Uh, there seems to be a consensus among members that the nomination for independent candidates should be accompanied by a prescribed number of signatures in support of their nomination. There seems to be that consensus that there must be 
this requirement is not unfair. However, what seems to be outstanding in our view is the number of signatures that each independent candidate will require or the formula that must be contained in the bill for the purposes of determining those signatures. Again, Chairperson, we, we give an example of Municipal Electoral Act, which expressly stipulates that an independent what candidate's nomination must be accompanied by the prescribed form with the signature of at least 50 voters. This is what we, 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 with, this is the formula or the system that we think the committee must consider in making a decision about the number of signature. And we, we believe Chairperson, similar to what is happening in the, in the municipal electoral system, this matter cannot be entirely left to the IEC. The act must contain some kind of guidance or a formula that will assist the IEC in making a decision similar to the Municipal Electoral Act. Uh, the next requirement, Chairperson, is the issue of deposit. And again, Chairperson, we understand the committee deliberation to be pointing to a consensus that the requirement of a deposit is not necessarily unlawful or unconstitutional. However, what we believe the committee is yet to decide is how to apply it in principle and in practice. There were deliberations around whether the amount should be the same for a party and an independent candidate. And we believe that the committee has not provided a, or has not reached a consensus around that. And the committee, again, Chairperson, as is referred to Section 27.3a of the Electoral Act, which provides that the commission may prescribe the amount of the deposit that must be paid by a registered party. And in addition, the Section B, I mean, subsection 3b, states that the amount to be deposited by a registered party contesting an election of a provincial legislature must be less than the amount for contesting an election of the NA. So the existing legislative framework already provides for a system of differentiating between a province and the national. What we, 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 we're putting forward for the committee is to consider the possibility of setting different amounts if the committee comes to that agreement. The issue was raised that an individual who wants to stand for election may not have the same financial muscle as a political party. And therefore, for that reason, it may not be unreasonable to set a different amount. But that, again, Chairperson, is a matter that we leave in the hands of the committee with the advice that there are already examples of differentiation for, for different entities at different levels of, of, of participating in elections. The next one, Chairperson, is the issue of the cooling off period. Our understanding, again, Chairperson, is that there is consensus on the matter that 
there must be a cooling off period. However, there was a concern as to whether three months will be a sufficient time for the IEC to be able to do its verification process. And uh, I suspect that the IEC in their intervention, they will have to make some representation on that issue. But as a, as a matter of general principle, there seems to be consensus that cooling off period is a required process or a requirement. Whether three months will be sufficient to assist the IEC to do whatever verification of those processes is a matter that the committee still has to make a decision on. And only the IEC can be able to, to, to assist the committee in making that decision. The, the next issue, Chairperson, is the issue of multiple regions, whether independent candidates should be allowed to contest elections in multiple uh, regions. This chairperson is very much linked to the issue of residency and all of that. One school of thought was that these are national elections. There is no reason why a candidate cannot compete across multiple regions. But the issue for us, chairperson, if Telana, you could just move up. Uh, move down, I mean. The issue that needs to be decided upon by the committee and how is how it, it will impact on party candidates. If independent candidates are allowed to contest elections across multi-regions. Um, now, this is a policy issue, Chairperson, but for the purposes of our work going forward, we feel that there has to be a, a clear decision that is being made on that. And like I said, it's linked to the issue of residence, which is a requirement for the registration of independent candidates. Uh, if you may go to the next one, Telana. There is the issue of allocation of, of seats, Chairperson. There was a debate in the committee about the issue of 200 versus 200. Our understanding is that there is consensus. I mean, is that there has been no consensus. And again, Chairperson, I go back to what I said at the beginning. We could be wrong in our understanding, but that consensus is required on whether this ratio should remain or should change to 300, which was a suggestion that was made at some point, that it should be 300 and 100 for compensatory seats. For the purposes of our work going forward, we may need a very clear decision on what the committee believes to should be the situation with regard to that. Strong views were expressed that we should retain the 200-200. Some view was expressed that it should be changed. But again, we will want to have clarity on that from the committee for the purposes of an A-list. Um, the, the next one, Chairperson, is the issue of the quota. 
um, there was a discussion around the three-round system that is proposed in the bill. The IEC in their last, I think in their last presentation, had proposed a consideration of a single round allocation system. The committee, of course, having had the benefit of advice from the IEC, will need to deliberate further once they have received that input and then make a clear decision on what approach or what system should be implemented in as far as the drug system. The next one, Chairperson, is the issue of ballot papers. Um, This item provides that the IEC must produce separate ballot papers for the election of members for the National Assembly and for the members of provincial legislature. In in the presentation by the IEC, they made a proposal of a three-ballot system. That is for national and provincial, and the, the, and, and the one for the regional seats in the NA. The department, again, Chairperson, which I think you have already touched on in their presentation of 21 June, indicated that they are consulting their council and that they will come back to the committee in terms of what must happen. And I'm sure the department, when it gets an opportunity to to, to present to the committee, it will brief the committee on what the outcome of that consultation is. Uh, the next one, Chairperson, is the issue of vacancies. There were deliberations in the committee as to whether a vacancy that occurs mid-term should be filled by by elections or it should wait for the next elections. The committee in our understanding, Chairperson, agreed in principle that the vacancy should be filled. And members suggested that the next highest available independent candidate or party candidate should be used to fill the vacancy. Some members of the committee felt that there should be a recalculation. The IEC in their presentation had suggested a possible amendment to item 34 and the department indicated that council was presently working on a memo discussing alternatives to filling vacant seats in both the National Assembly and the provincial legislature. The committee again, Chairperson, is yet to reach consensus on how these vacancies should be filled. So there is an agreement in principle that they should be filled the how part of that feeling of the vacancy, it seems to us is what is outstanding for the purposes of going forward. The next one, Chairperson, is the issue of agents. In our understanding, Chairperson, there seems to be agreement, same as the party liaison committee debate we had at the beginning, that uh, independence should also be allowed to have agents that represent them in the voting and counting stations. 
In our view, however, Chairperson, the committee still has to make a decision in terms of how they will be represented. Although as an umbrella, there is, seems to be an agreement as to how they will be represented, what number of agents they should have, that is the issue that is still outstanding. And of course, chairperson has guidance or something that the committee must consider. We refer the committee to what is already in section 58 of the Act in terms of parties. Parties have two party agents for each voting station. And, and four party agents for each venue where the proceedings provided for in part three and five. In part three and five of chapter four takes place. And we proceed then chairperson to explain what part three is about. Part three refers to the counting of votes at a place other than the voting station. Part five on the other hand, refers to the determination and declaration of the So this seems to provide some guidance for the committee on issues that they may have to consider in as far as, um, as, as the party agents or agents. And again, Chairperson, we, we, we refer you to section 39 of what is already captured in the Municipal Electoral Act which also prescribes a number of agents that a party must have and an independent what candidate is having. For instance, in sub two, an independent what candidate may appoint a number of agents for the election equal to one or more agents per voting station in the ward. If voting at the station takes place in more than one room or separately, enclosed areas. Two agents per venue where the counting procedure is performed at a venue other than the voting station. I think the point that Chairperson we're making here is that there is already guidance in the existing legislation that the committee may consider for the purposes of its deliberation to accommodate independent candidates and their agents. Um, Telana, can we move? Chairperson, that seems to bring us to the end of the issues as we understood the deliberations of the committee. And Chairperson, I repeat what I started with, that it could be we may, we may have misunderstood the deliberations and we are happy to be guided by the committee on that. Thank you very much, Chairperson. No, thanks. Thank you. Uh... <clears throat> Mr. Nchikela, uh, for bringing the recap notes they deliberated in our last meeting. You, you were careful on the decisions that were taken, uh, or were careful as the committee because we ought to uh, wait, wait for both the IEC and the DHA to impress on some of the issues. Uh, hence, we, 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 we took a decision of a, a principal uh, um, uh, 
consensus on the on the issues. So we may need to zoom in on the uh, resolving on the issues that will not go back, uh, so that you isolate, as I've indicated earlier, on the issues that uh, we've, uh, we've we've dealt with, uh, so that we were able to to move and uh, and facilitate the the crafting of the of the of the A list. Uh, I'm sure that members will have uh, taken notes on the on the issues that the committee has uh, resolved in principle. Um, and uh, there were other issues that were um, uh, referred for IEC for uh, regulations to be regulated by the by, by the IEC, and that was our our understanding of processing uh, uh, some of these uh, clauses. In our last meeting, there were two uh, issues uh, which were, were were seemed to have different uh, uh, views, and that we have afforded members to. Uh, uh, to solicit a, a, a proper understanding on how we can uh, uh, resolve on, and that which we have indicated, uh, uh, Mr. Njikela, uh, because we do not want to enter into uh, uh, the last step of engaging in a voting process where we can find common uh, grounds on the issues uh, that are before us, informed by uh, the guidance uh, that the submission of our members and stakeholders, and in particular the the implementing um, a stakeholder, uh, the IEC, the legal team, and the and the and the home affairs. This is a draft uh, a notes. I'm going to uh, invite you to comment, um, and we uh, affirm uh, um, uh, principal uh, decisions we've taken, uh, so that uh, we allow the DHA, if there's a matter. Uh, on the issues we have uh, referred them to to impress on, or and then we refer we allow the the IEC to 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 come back, or alternatively we can deal with that deliberations once both the stakeholders have uh, made their 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 presentation their presentation so that we don't complicate the uh, the process. I think that can be a better option to allow uh, the, the the DHA and the and the and the and I see to present. Can I get guidance? I see your hand, Honorable uh, Pile. Thank you very much, Chairperson. I wanted to propose that it would actually uh, assist us if we got all the other presentations and then deliberated. I support that, that proposal. Okay, any second to that? Uh, Chair, I second that, Honorable Ross. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Ross and uh, Honorable Mutise. Can I invite uh, DHA? If uh, on on the issues uh, that and then lastly we'll then get uh, to a comment from the state law advisor and the and the parliamentary legal team again, so that we will wrap up uh, the process. Um, minister or DG, I'm not sure how we're going to deputy minister on how we're going to let me just invite minister. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. I will allow the DG to deliberate. Uh, on, uh, to give a report about uh, what our legal team is saying about this issue. But however, before he comes in, I just want to raise one issue from our understanding as a department. The issue of addresses and uh, whether an independent candidate in a region can contest in more than one region. We are worried, Chairperson, that 
This is conflating compensatory seats, which are contested by political parties, which, if you remember, in the original advice from the, 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 the Ministerial Advisory Committee, we're saying they are equivalent to national, to national seats. We believe these are being conflated with regional seats, which in the original advice, were in the original document, were named province to national. This is my worry, Chairperson. If a member of a political party, because it's going to be members of political party in regions who contest, uh, uh, representing those parties, but contesting for the number of seats which will have been allocated uh, to that particular region. Now, a member of political party, because it's a regional seat, will only contest in that region. Now, he will be contesting with somebody who, who is getting votes from all the other regions. Now, is that, is that fair? Is that equal vote for, for I mean, is it, is it equal for, for, for I mean, is it proportional or is it equal? for a person representing a political party to gather only votes from a particular region. And then for the contestant, the same person contesting him or her to go and gather votes in other regions also. I, I want the committee to look at that because I find it quite problematic. That will also solve the issue of addresses. The people who are now presently in the National Assembly who came from by province to national list. They come from that particular province. They were never voted for by anybody outside that particular province, even if they were selected by political parties. They came by a proportion of the votes that that particular party uh, uh, were able to gather in that particular province and in, not, in, in, in none other province. And that's why we call it province to national. Now, for independence, I'm not sure what you are going to call it, because in every part of the country, there will be gathering votes. Uh, and I just think it's going to cause a very serious inequality. It's not a competition at all. And I think it must be relooked into. I'll allow the DG to uh, uh, say something about uh, what we've referred to our, our legal team. Thank you very much. Thank you, DG. <clears throat> No, thank you, Minister. Thank you, Chairperson. Good morning to the committee members and also uh, the Deputy Minister and the Commissioners from the AEC and the uh, CEO. So on the, on the issues that uh, have been raised, you'll recall, Chairperson, that on the 21st of June, uh, in the presentation that we made, we indicated that Council has requested for more time to finalise uh, the submission particularly on the practical implications of some of the issues that have been raised. And they've not finalized that given the complexity around some of the issues uh, that we need to finalize. And they've indicated that uh, we will, before the end of this week, make a formal submission to yourselves uh, on those issues that have been identified uh, as well by the parliament's uh, legal uh, team. So that's uh, the uh, brief uh, um, that we have for the committee this morning. Thank you, Chairperson and Minister. Thank you very much, members. That is the comment from uh, the the uh, the DHA. Um, I think the DG and the Minister 
if your time frame will sit on this week, it will be important that uh, we, we 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 receive those uh, 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 submission uh, uh, so that we're able because uh, roughly all the issues the committee has uh, managed to to deal with. So we may need to finalize. Uh, these other outstanding issues uh, and able to conclude these uh, del- uh, the deliberations and allow the 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 drafting of the of the a list it's, it's an important matter um, given our time uh, allocation so that we may need to uh, to move i'm sure that will be we will appreciate a uh, 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 that but also note the complexity of the matter uh, but i think the time frame and the work that is before the both houses, uh, in particular the NA, to finalize this uh, process. So it would be important that uh, we, 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 you take guidance from uh, 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 the committee on how we must uh, uh, move faster in terms of attending to some of the issues which were referred. Thanks very much. Indeed, sir. Indeed, sir. Indeed. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> I will now invite Commissioner Love and uh, uh, she will... Uh, then do the, the delegation accordingly. Thank you, Commissioner Love. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and greetings to you, um, the honorable members and uh, the minister and his team and other colleagues who are here from the legal fraternity. Um, I'm accompanied by Commissioners Moepia and Masuku. The overall presentation will be led by the CEO and his team. Maybe before handing over to um, that team, I just wanted to raise a couple of things that are consequential to the presentation given by Mr. Njikela. Um, I think that uh, one, of the, one of the issues that he's pointed to where we um, indeed would need the guidance of the, of the committee um, does deal with issues like uh, the cooling off period And he then tied that to the issue of the verification of signatures in his presentation. I think from our perspective, the two issues are not, um, are not as connected as I I understood from the presentation. So I would ask the committee, first of all, to look at those separately when you, when you do get to those issues. I think the other question that I just wanted to, um, raise as a more general point, Um, In the presentation, there was reference to the fact that legislation currently provides um, at the local government level, um, also in terms of the registration of parties and so on and so forth, for um, quantums to be in terms of numbers of people who who qualify to or who are required to give signatures and the quantums that are determined to be set in various ways. The one thing that I wanted to point out is that a lot of the legislation as it currently stands provides a framework that enables the commission in consultation with the party liaison committee to to navigate the differences, for example, in, in quantums. So it's not something that gets set in primary legislation. And part of the reason for that is because we know that if there is a need for change on some of those details, 
that change, if it is going to be a change in the primary legislation, could take quite a long time. So I just say I want the committee to give some reflection on the enabling nature of the legislation and the possibility maybe, um, because obviously the committee does want to have some certainty, um, to ensure that the that what is addressed in the primary legislation is the principles on which um, the commission in consultation with the party liaison committee can then um, navigate some of the details. And the last thing is that, I mean, in all of this, clearly, once um, some of the decisions have been made, the legislation will have to be assessed from the perspective of, is there equitable treatment that can be that can be seen throughout the legislation in terms of candidates who come to uh, to face the electorate from political parties and those who come um, as independents. So with those few introductory um, remarks, Chairperson, I just thought it would be um, uh, good if we can uh, hand over to the CEO and his team, and he will then uh, take us through the issues that you put before us previously in order to hopefully provide some clarity to the committee. Um, if I may, through you, Chairperson, hand over to the CEO. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Love. Uh, um, CEO, Mama Bolo. Uh, thank, thank you, Chairperson. Sorry uh, for that. Uh, uh, I hope all can see the uh, the presentation. I yes. chair. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Mr. Mawolo, we can see the presentation. We can, uh, thank you very much. Proceed. Thank you. Yes, um, thank you very much, Chairperson, uh, and greetings to Minister and Deputy Commissioner Love, Commissioners, DG, and colleagues, both in the IC and in the department, as well as members of civil society joining us online. Um, the, the, um, perhaps three issues that we wish to deal with um, today. One is the promise we made in the last session to provide the committee with the regional quotas arising from the 2019 national and provincial elections and indicating what the position is at 100%, 50 and so on, uh, just to give um, the committee a sense of what is the numerical quantum involved um, in, those, uh, in those quotas, so that the committee can then make a determination as to where they wish to place the um, the formula for the quantums, for the quantum in, in relation to regional seats. Secondly, to deal with the 
differences between allocating remaining seats using the highest remainder method on the one hand and the average number of votes per seat method on the other. And lastly, deal with uh, the policy issues, some of which Commissioner Love has made reference. Now, uh, members of the committee, the, uh, the regional co- Hello, yes, sir. So sorry, Mr. Mamabul. I think you're not moving the, your slides. Um, you know, know it's, it, it has me. moved on our side. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let me let me try again, and I apologize for that. It's moving on on our side, Chair. Yeah, I'm not sure. You remember in the last presentation, the your statement uh, uh, you indicated like that. Yeah. Um, Maybe, Maybe um, can I ask Eddie, Eddie can you, you project yeah. rather on your side? Or Mr. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Salmon, Mr. Matons, please let's assist uh, uh, Mr. Mamawul. Chairperson? Yes, yes. Are you able to see it? No, no. We can see your details, but not. Uh, Okay, I don't know. Okay. Mm. Okay, I don't know. Let me just try again. Are you able to see it now? Yeah, I can see it. Let's try to move to second slide and see if yeah, Uh, I think we're proper. Yeah, we're proper now. Thank thank you. Sorry, Mr. Mawolo, for disturbing us. No, thank thanks very much, uh, Chairperson. Um we can go to the third slide, uh Dr. Matons. Yes. Um the 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 quota in the Eastern Cape in 2019, that is the full quota, was 77,713. And at 50%, that gets to 38,000. Uh, and at 3023, at 2015, and uh, um, at 15%, it gets to uh, 11,000. So you can go on, you can put uh, do 10 and 5 even um, to look uh, to, 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 to get the uh, the quantum. In the free state, um, not very far, uh, 75,000, the full quota. Um, in counting, it was the highest at 92,601. And then the Western Cape at um, sorry, KwaZulu not, uh, yes, Western Cape at eighty-eight thousand and eight, and KZN uh, eighty-six thousand and nine hundred and sixty-seven. So, Chair, really, I, I can't go through all the numbers. I think they're there for the record. Um, the committee can look at what they believe. Um, would be fair, really, 
uh, to independence, the quantum that would be fair. I mean, I mean, 15% is not the last wait. You could go to 10, you could go to five as well, um, um, depending on the policy choice that the uh, the committee would wish to... Um, can we move to the next slide, Eddie? Thanks. Now, Chair, looking at the, uh, 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 the quantum of those quotas, it becomes evident that um, the management of signatures will only be viable if they are submitted electronically. Let, let's take, um, for example, if you were to say 20% in, um, uh, and that 20% of the previous um, quota in 2019, for example, it would be 15,000 in the Eastern Cape, 15,000 in the Free State, 18,000 in Gauteng, 17,000 in Kezeren, 15,000 in Lipopo, 15,000 in Pumalanga, 14,000 in Northwest, 13,000 in Northern Cape, and 17,000 in, um, in, in the Western Cape. Now, if this were to be brought as physical hard copies, it will take a lot of time uh, for us to get those captured, verify them against the voters' role, and so on. So we do want to indicate that the management of of these uh, signatures would only be viable if they are submitted electronically. And secondly, the type of uh, application we build to facilitate the record of those signatures has to have an instant verification capability, i.e. Um, it has to check uh, the voters' role status of the person um, submitted, and have a, a, a running a running log of how many uh, uh, um, how many signatures have been verified, so that the independent or his staff or whoever is involved can know at any one time how many uh, IDs have been, have been successful and those that have not been um, uh, uh, successful. And the, the submission dates of the, uh, the signatures must align with the prescribed dates in the election timetable. So, you know, you know the election timetable will say the close, uh, the close of a nomination is this, by that date, um, all the uh, uh, signatures must be in and verified um, together with the prescribed deposits. This is important because it is crucial that candidate nomination um, has to close at a particular point so that the complex process of producing ballots may commence. And all indications are that we are going towards 
a very complex um, ballot production project that the country has not um, had to deal with before. And here are the key factors uh, relevant there too. One is that we're anticipating longer ballots. In the provinces, in the uh, National Assembly, uh, national to national, as well as the regional ballots. And our experience from last year's election is that very few printers can handle ballots with the length of over 720 millimeters, which means the production capacity, uh, the, the longer the ballot grows, uh, the, pro- the production capacity uh, reduces. So there's an inverse relationship between the length of ballots and the production capacity available uh, to produce that. So that's one uh, area of complexity uh, involved. The second complexity involved with the production of the ballot is the is that the single ballot column, as we we've known it since 1994, may no longer be uh, be possible um, because of, of of that issue that uh, you may have to do uh, double columns or multiple uh, columns to accommodate um, parties and independents on the regional ballot as well as on the provincial ballot. Um, Or even we may be moving towards a multiple or a multiple uh, column, as I said, or multiple page uh, ballot. We we may have to go uh, uh, to go that route. So more time is therefore required than has hitherto been the case for the production of the ballot. Hence, we say that uh, the, the management of the signatures cannot be manual, and they have to be electronically and perhaps. Uh, the 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 bill must indicate that upfront, so that um, it, there's no fight about it um, um, ahead of an election. It's clarified in the bill that those signatures, whatever the quantum, um, has to be they have to be submitted through electronic means to the electoral commission. Um, can we move on and the tema twenty? Then the the second issue, chair, is the is allocating remaining seats by high, highest remainder me- method vis-a-vis uh, allocating remaining seats using the average number of votes per seat method. On the left-hand side, we using the group uh, and and applying the highest remainder method. You'll see that um, the the parties would have gotten the same number of valid votes in both um, scenarios, uh, and the total um, ballots cast, total 
valid um, ballots cast is two million um, two, two million four hundred and um, and four hundred thousand three hundred and fifty six votes, and there are twenty five seats available in that legislative assembly. Now. Party two, you see, it has gotten one 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 million three hundred and ninety nine thousand four hundred and fifty five votes, and when you apply the group formula, they get um, fifteen seats at the first allocation. Party five gets three at the first allocation, and party six gets one, and party eight gets four. And the total seats allocated in the first round is 23. Then you put all the remainders um, and you rank them um, to the maximum number of seats available. And we know that in this legislative assembly, it's 25 seats, 23 have been allocated in the first round, and there's a balance of two, which means we have to allocate uh, two additional seats. Um, and then we look at the remainders and check which is the highest remainder. It is party nine at 83,707. And then party six will be ranked second uh, because the remainder there is 63,577. And you then allocate those remaining seats to them on the strength of their highest remainders. And that gets you to to 25 uh, seats in that legislative assembly. So if you use the highest average of votes per seat method, you do the same for the first allocation, but instead of Working on the highest remainders, you take the, um, the total valid votes for party and divide by the number of seats that party received. So let's take um, party mm-hmm. number two. In the first allocation, they get 15 seats. So you'll take um, 1,399,000. Uh, 1,455, divide that by 15, and then you get um, the, the the average number of votes per seat. And so it goes. Um, now, those um, average uh, votes per seat in respect of each party are ranked uh, to distribute the two final seats. And party six, uh, get uh, um, the first rank because it, uh, it, after dividing um, their total valid votes with the one vote that they got, they remain at 155,000. Um, and then party five at 101. Um, and then that's how you then allocate. Um, that's how you then do your, your allocation. So in the first instance, um, when you use the highest remainder, you, you are actually going to see which is the highest remainder. And then in the second instance, you use the 
um, highest average of votes per seat as a as a as a as a methodology. Again, um, you know, it's, the committee would have to make a policy decision as to which of the two methods um, uh, will be viable um, uh, for use. The the next slide, and I think uh, that deals with the. Uh, the last issues that the commission really wants to uh, comment on. And, I mean, you know, at the risk of sounding quite, uh, quite repetitive, the commission has indicated that it will not prefer um, policy options in relation to the business before the committee. It would rather focus on the practical uh, implications of the policy options um, and in our view, there appears uh, to be three outstanding policy issues that require um, the, the, the attention of the portfolio committee. Firstly, uh, the cooling of period for independence. This is a very uh, uh, difficult subject because um, the, the commission doesn't know who are members of which political party. And um, and when those people left their parties. Um, so that, that's that practical, practical difficulty. Um, the issue is going to be whether by the time that is uh, by the date that is prescribed for submission of lists of candidates, whether the person is compliant or not in relation to the number of signatures as well as the prescribed uh, deposits. Those are elements that the commission can handle um, um, objectively. Um, you know, so so the the that is within the sphere of is the sphere of control for uh, for the commission. The participation of independents in the compensatory seats again, it's a it's a it's a policy matter, and the commission really, as they indicated, uh, would want to to leave that in the hands of the portfolio committee. The commission has engaged the issues. Uh, um, on the basis of the policy proposal that was placed before the portfolio uh, committee. And so goes uh, the issue of the split between um, the regional seats and the compensatory seats. Those are matters that we believe um, uh, within the uh, policy remit of the, of the committee. If called to, we can explain the technical nuance involved in their uh, operalization. And, and that's the presentation, Chairperson. Thank, thanks, uh, Commissioner Love. Can I go back to you? Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, CEO. Um, the Chairperson, uh, to you and other honourable members, um, we, we then will hand, hand back. I don't think um, there's anything to add at this stage. Commissioner Moyepia and Commissioner uh, Masuku will respond if there are any questions uh, 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 in addition to the CEO. Thanks. Thank you very much, uh, 
Commissioner Laf and uh, uh, the also Mr. Mamabolo for your uh, presentation. <clears throat> Members, this is the three presentations, not uh, not two presentations that we have received for the comment from Home Affairs on the three issues which in principle we've agreed as the consensus on on the group formula, vacancy, and the number of ballots. But on the detailed uh, um, uh, response that the council uh, will have to still to come back to the to the committee. Then the IEC presentation and also the issues that we dealt with, which was presented uh, collectively by the um, uh, Mr. Njikela uh, and the content uh, advisor on the uh, recap on the process that we've been engaged on. Um, I'm going to invite members to interface in that sequence. Uh, um, and noting that the perhaps outstanding issues that we still have to get from the uh, uh, Department of Home Affairs, it will be important that we we take a, a key uh, a resolution on some of the issues that we, in principle, uh, uh, resolve on um, that are waiting for details, uh, like the IEC has discussed correctly uh, articulated that on the policy issues before the committee, which we were fully aware, um, and that will take those decisions uh, because we are informed by the submission and referral that uh, we had ought to get to, to for uh, receive from yourself as the stakeholders that must inform our proper uh, uh, resolve on the issues. So I'm going to invite members to uh, to interface uh, on these uh, uh, three areas that uh, I've, uh, I've I've identified. I've also noted that uh, uh, I got indication, as I've indicated earlier, that there will be load shedding, and members must also uh, or the attendance uh, note that uh, uh, matter. I'll start with Honorable uh, uh, Pile, Honorable Ross, Honorable Khwase, Honorable Kanyile, and Honorable Mutise. We'll note uh, uh, Honorable Molekwa, uh, she's uh, uh, having flu um, and she will not manage to participate, but she's in the, in the, in, in, in the meeting. In that order, Honorable Pile. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson. And let me first uh, thank all of the different uh, stakeholders um, for the presentations and also for the um, uh, clarifying uh, some of the um, matters that we've been discussing over the weeks. Chair, I think I must first place on record my appreciation to the process that we have been following. It has been truly a long journey. And for us to get to this point, I think we must commend um, all members, including yourself as a chair, for having led so well um, and all our stakeholders. I'm going to zoom in. Um, I want to agree with um, um, the presentation by um, uh, Legal that we have agreed that the word or region um, should remain um, or retained 
I think it was a um, view from from almost all members that uh, there is no harm um, in in replacing region with province because it was self-explanatory and that it's able to to make clear um, sense and differentiation in terms of what uh, it means. So the first one on clause one uh, was that it should remain and retain that. Um, then on clause two, which uh, speaks to clause two and clause four, um, I want to, um, well, I think we've, we've, we've also been very clear about uh, inclusion of independence um, in both the, the liaison committees. Um, I just want to remind committee chair that I did raise um, at some point in our discussions more than once that perhaps the word political may be seen um, as a challenge for us uh, because independence may perceive not to be politically aligned. And so um, I, I proposed, and this is only a proposal like, I, like, like was men mentioned, that we just needed to consider the name, alternate name. And the proposal there was to just leave it as simple as liaison committee. And I'm still proposing that perhaps we can be able to use the word liaison uh, committee and just to be able to remove political, just so that we are able to accommodate um, for, for the way they may perceive it to be. In respect of clause four, which I think has, has been discussed at length, um, I want to draw committee's um, attention to the um, um, input that we received from the minister in respect of uh, party candidates versus independence. Um, if, a, if a party candidate is required to be on a regional list and not on any other um, regional list, uh, then why is it different then for independence? And I think I, I still want to submit that we'll be able to unpack that more. Um, but I see no harm in an independent contesting the space of the NA, uh, like in the submission made by the IEC, that perhaps because uh, you're allowed to vote anywhere in the country uh, in a national election, in a general election, and also that you could be registered anywhere in the country that you could be able to contest that space. But I think we need to be clear about which ballot that means and which space, because if it is direct NA, and I think maybe to just use the terms that we use so we'll understand, it's uh, NA to NA. If it's NA to NA, then I see no problem with it. But if it is from province to national, then, Chair, I think it's important to note that you come from where you are to be represented from a, a particular province to a national. And I'm saying this because political parties have lists um, where they have a list of candidates from their party who are in a specific province that get nominated to go to the National Assembly on the ticket of the province. Now, it makes perfect sense then to apply the same rule for independence, that you come from a province you reside in to be represented in the, in, in the NA. So for me, I think it's important for us to differentiate the two in terms of um, where you're being represented and, and, and on which ticket you're going. So it may speak, um, Chairperson, to, to the ballot. Chair, I want to draw your attention to um, the signature requirements and deposit uh, requirement. Um, I think that in principle, we've agreed that yes, there should be uh, requirements and that there should be signatures. Um, and we've also 
my proposal from the last discussion, uh, and I've heard it now being said again by the IEC in saying that there should be some kind of legislation around it. I'm still proposing, Chairperson, that the Act um, should uh, contain the uh, requirements in terms of signatures. Um, we have proposed uh, that it should be 50% of the quota of the seat in the previous election. Um, and I'm still going to propose that uh, this could be a possible um, formula that we use. Uh, but I just want to, to I, while I was doing a quick calculation while, while the presentation was on, if you look at this thing about local government where you require 50 signatures um, um, to contest, now, if you look at that, um, 50 signatures, and I'll take an example of Etikweni, we have 111 wards, times 50 gives you 5,500. Now, if you had to look at KZN as a whole, there's 54 municipalities, so which means you would need to then, uh, as a fair process, be able to get Ghana signatures across. Um, and that just comes to about 297,000 signatures if you had to look at all municipalities. Because remember, you are going to be contesting either a provincial legislature seat or an NA. Now, take that and multiply it by nine and look at what the requirements will be. So I think, Chair, that it, the, the, the proposal of 50% of the quota of a, a, of a seat in the previous election is far less than the 50 um, at a local government if you had to do the calculations and the maths. And I was just saying, I was doing this because I wanted to draw your attention to what it, what it would mean and what it will become. In respect of the deposit, uh, Chair, um, I, I'm still in support of saying that the IEC um, uh, should be able to, to uh, determine this. Um, again, my proposal is that it may change from time to time, and especially with the economics um, um, situation of the country and it changes all the time, perhaps then we have to look at it. But I also want to draw um, um, attention of the committee and members to what was, what was said about uh, the difference for the NA and the provincial legislation. It already exists and I think it must be that way, that the deposit is different when it comes to province and the deposit is different when it comes to, to the National Assembly. Uh, in terms of cooling off period, which it was agreed on the three months, and I'm still in support of that. Um, and just to, to, on the multiple regions, um, you know, I, I just wanted some clarity from, from, from legal, the first presentation that we had, because there was something that I didn't understand in their, um, in their submission about multiple regions. Uh, but I want to still place emphasis on how this will affect uh, party candidates uh, in terms of, of the contestation of multiple regions. Uh, in respect of Clause 11, Chair, I, I still uh, am of the firm view and I present that it should remain 200 to 200, that's the 50 to 50, um, and that the uh, quota should be the single round group quota system. The ballot paper should be three, um, like in our previous discussions, we've presented that and I'm still supporting that it is three. We've agreed on vacancies. I think there was consensus that it should be the next available candidate or political party. We've also agreed, Chairperson, on party agents uh, or agents, if we call them, should be allowed in terms of PLC. But the last one, which I, I requested at the last meeting, and, I, and I'm happy that we received this presentation, is in respect of the highest remainder and highest average. 
And Chair, in view of the presentation by the IEC, I want to support the view that it should be the highest um, um, remainder and not highest average. And let me just take uh, members to one important point. If you look at that slide where they're looking at the highest average of votes per seat uh, versus highest remainder, on the highest remainder, party five receives three seats and party eight receives four seats. But on the highest average, party five and party eight receives four seats each. Now this in comparison to the number of votes received, party five received 303,309 and party eight received 390,134. The difference of votes is almost um, 87,000 votes. However, on the highest average, both parties get the same amount of seats, but on the highest remainder, party five gets one less than party eight. And I think it'll be unfair to party eight to get the same amount of seats as party five when they received almost 87,000 votes more. And I think based on that submission chair, I want to propose that we go with the highest remainder and not highest average. I thank you. So thank you, Honorable uh, uh, Pile. Um, Honorable Ross. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and uh, yeah, thank you very much again to to all the presenters uh, for your considered uh, input. Uh, yeah, Chairperson, I think you know it, it. It might seem strange why are we going around these issues again and again, but I think you know it's it's clear that that South Africa does need electoral reform, general electoral reform. And we are, we are here uh, in this forum and, and with this bill to specifically look at a, a specific constitu a constitutional court requirement. Um, and, and perhaps sometimes it's difficult to say, well, um, it, it can be tempting to say, how do we bring in elements of overall electoral reform when we are trying to uh, meet the requirement of the constitutional court judgment? Um, and certainly we've discussed it already, Chair, you know, all of these uh, these things would be a lot easier with constituencies, but to to have constituencies in place would take too much time uh, to be in time for the next election. I mean, we talk about uh, public inputs of wanting to have uh, public representatives in the National Assembly that are directly accountable to them. And in essence, you know, voters want to see their public representative. They want to see them close to where they are. Um, and so, you know, it's difficult to model this when you, when everybody's grouped into a region, um, but that is, that, that is where we are now. So certainly, you know, it would be a lot of an easier discussion with constituencies. Um, and I think it's, it's critical and it's something this committee needs to ensure um, that once this uh, legislation is put in place, that in the next term, indeed, uh, we, we, we definitely have this, amendment to 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 bring constituencies into the into the mix um, and then again chairperson the overall proportionality so i think you know honorable malekwa brought it up a couple of meetings ago in terms of saying we have this uh, this complex seat allocation system that's introduced here uh, into a bill that is supposed to be a minimalist approach um, and I, I think as as much as we've seen certain we've, we've looked at droop etc uh, we have never once looked at the 2019 figures and seen how that 
um, that three-stage process or any of the other proposals actually changes that result. Um, it's something that, that, that we haven't seen. Um, and so the other thing about the seat allocation and the proposed process, whether it's one stage at regional and, and three stages overall, et cetera, um, I think it's very difficult for everybody to, to conceptualize it. It's very technical. It's very mathematical. And when you use smaller figures, um, it looks very different to when you use large figures. Um, and I think, Chairperson, you know, th th that thing of changing that seat allocation to something that is difficult um, for, for the general public to understand and understand the full implications of it um, has also set the cat amongst the pigeons. Um, really, you know, in, in our view, unnecessarily. And this is why, Chairperson, you know, we, we proposed before that we, we, we keep with the existing seat allocation system, uh, which ensures in the first round your general proportionality. Um, and then in the second round of that allows for the um, allocation of seats in regions and then comes back at the end and uh, tops up that general proportionality. The chairperson, you know, that, that would be a much simpler approach than trying to now look at a seat allocation system that hasn't been used anywhere else in the world. So we don't have a reference for how it works, what the outcomes are, um, and also then raises concerns, um, especially from civil society organizations, about things like wasted votes and lost votes and different quotas, et cetera. And all of that is avoidable by taking the, the existing seat allocation system and simply saying that you, you add an independent candidate in there and they have a limit of, of one seat that they are able to get. I think it really simplifies things, uh, Chairperson. If I can just also, as Honourable Pillay did, just go through the clauses. Um, I think if we look at the definitions, these, these are things that, uh, you know, region we have agreed on in, in, in our opinion. Um, and then the Liaison Committee, I think it's it's something that was raised before, and uh, and we don't disagree with it. I think it was just uh, that the point that was made last time as well was if you have a lot of documentation, training material, etc., that already says PLC on it, um, that that naming it political liaison committee might just help that you don't have to go and rechange all that documentation. Um, so that was the you know that was the reason why we were quite in favour of political uh, liaison committee. Um, but I wouldn't say that we are against calling it a liaison committee. So I think that's just something to consider. What, what are the knock-on implications? All the training materials, manuals, um, uh, guides that refer to a PLC, are they going to now have to be changed if we make it a, an LC? Then in terms of um, clause four, nomination of independent candidates, um, Chairperson, if I may, um, I, I just uh, I, I wasn't sure that I understood what Honourable Pillay was referencing to when when he spoke about independent candidates on the NA to NA, um, because my understanding was that that was not possible um, under the under the current proposal. So I just wanted to understand what, what was that a proposal that 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 be allowed? Um, Chairperson, I think that. Uh, you know, the, the, the issue here that we said again with the, the nomination of independent candidates and the registration requirements. Um, again, the, the, the seat allocation system makes this quite, um, 
it, it, it makes it complex because now we, we sit in a situation where um, we have party candidates and we are trying to now understand, are we trying to compare independent candidates to party candidates or to parties? Um, and perhaps as we are looking at this whole approach, um, it, it, it is fair to compare independent candidates to, to candidates that are in a party that have chosen to associate with the party. Um, and therefore we need to ensure in this case that, uh, that it's, it's that the same counts for everybody. So if you have an independent, uh, if, if you're a candidate in a political party and you're only allowed to stand on one list, that the independent candidate should also be able to stand on list that we have that fairness. I think we've always asked for that uh, fairness between, you know, because the, the, the constitutional court in at the end of the day asked that parliament makes it possible for independent candidates to be able to participate without having to associate with a political party and with other candidates. Then in terms of the signature requirement, um, you know, we think that the 50% of the seat requirement is, a, you know, it's, it's a reasonable proposal uh, there. I think uh, at, at any one of our family Christmas parties, uh, you know, I would probably be able to send around a petition and get 50 family members um, to support that uh, chairperson. So, <laughs> so chairperson, I just, uh, you know, I, I think that 50% of the seat requirement is not bad. Um, it would have been good. We had requested uh, from the IEC to, to please just to try and uh, look around the world and see what the, some sort of seat requirements are. Um, I have gone and looked at that, and in different countries, they have something similar to what Honorable Pillay was, uh, was referring to, where the smaller the, the jurisdiction that you participate in, the smaller the number of uh, seats required is. And it goes down from as little as three three petitions up to your sort of uh, 25, 35,000. And so, uh, so, so we don't disagree with Honorable Pele's assessment. Honorable Pele's assessment that you have 50% of the seat requirement, I think it's something that we had discussed for a while. Uh, sorry, Chair. No, 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 not at the rest. In the, in the deposit requirement, Chairperson, uh, I think, you know, the, the determination of the deposit requirements in, uh, in collaboration with the, uh, the PLC or the LC um, is possibly the way to go. Um, I think it's something that it, it's, it's probably difficult to legislate here in, in the law and say this is an amount. Um, and it's something that would need to be agreed over there. The cooling off period, I think that, you know, the, what the IEC has presented is, is very valid. Um, that the, for this to work, that the signature should be electronically received um, and in, in a way that is automatically verifiable. Uh, yes. Yeah, can, you, can you ask our stakeholders uh, on the other side that uh, that is taping your meeting? Okay. Thank you, Chair. Yeah, just for a, a, a minute so that you, you, you proceed without uh... Okay, if you're fine, you can proceed, uh, Honorable Ross. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. <clears throat> yeah, you can proceed. Thank you. Okay. Um, I'm just looking through the rest of the points. 
Yeah, Chairperson, the, you know, if you look at Clause 11, um, the, the 200 versus 300, I think it, you know, the 300 is proposed looking forward to a, a multi-member constituency system, um, which would be very difficult to implement with, with 200 uh, regional seats. And so this was behind the, the proposal that uh, one could consider 300 regional seats. It would allow you when you are um, going to the point where you split up constituencies, uh, that you, you, you then have a, a lot more latitude there and you're not limited. Uh, because if you have 200 seats, even with a scenario, uh, one of the proposals was to use um, uh, district, district boundaries, et cetera, even then you'd have 66 constituencies and only 200, um, 200 seats to split them all into. Um, and so, Chairperson, the, you know, the 300 to 100 um, assists with that. Um, and it also assists with, you know, the, the, the main portion of the seat allocation really happens in the, in the regional uh, seat allocation. And so this will allow for uh, better quotas there and more persons that can get in um, by meeting the quota instead of having to rely on a remainder. This was the rationale behind uh, 300 to 100. Person, in terms of the next item, regional seats and the, and the droop quota and the three-round system, I've, I've already spoken about that, Chairperson, in, in terms of a proposal being that the existing uh, seat allocation system uh, be re retained in that in the first round, an overall proportional calculation is done. Then the regional allocations are done. And then in the last round, the, the top-up for proportionality is done. I think we've spoken about vacancies before and agreed on that. Um, and then chairperson, in terms of the, uh, the, the discussion about highest remainder versus um, average votes, I think the, you know, the main difference that you see here is that with average votes per seat, only parties that have already received a vote get a seat, get one of the extra seats. Um, and my understanding of our deliberations over time is that, is that it's been uh, a principle that we seem to have all agreed on, that if you get more votes than the next person, you should, you should get that, uh, that next seat. And so I, I agree with what Honorable Pillay said in terms of uh, highest remainder being more desirable. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thanks, thanks very much, uh, Honorable uh, Thank you very much, Chair. And Chair, without any waste of time, I honestly would like to agree with some of the submissions made by Honorable Rose, but I'm partly covered by what was raised by Honorable Pillay. But on clause one, in as much as Honorable Pillay is suggesting the liaison committee, I would also want to agree with Honorable Rose to say changing from PLC to LC might be a bit of a problem. But my suggestion would be that, or I would want to agree with the word party liaison committee. As long as the definition on the act will be specific to say, by saying party, we are not referring to political party. Rather than we are referring to all parties participating or taking part in the elections. And Chair, also on the issue of, or let me go to 
I do not want to touch on what has already been mentioned because I will honestly be repeating myself. But also I want to talk on clause 4, Chairperson. I am covered by the submission of Honorable Pillay on clause 4. But also, Chair, on the issue of clause 11, on clause 11, my view is that we must leave it as it is. The ratio must remain as 200 to 200. But I'm honestly largely covered by the submissions of, of Honorable Pillay. I would not want to waste time because I will be repeating what he has just mentioned. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Lohase. Honorable Kanyele. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, I have been mostly covered by um, Honorable Rose, um, and I'd like to welcome all the presentations that we have um, received today. However, I just have a few concerns that I, I need to raise. Chairperson, when we left the, the previous meeting, I was under the impression that the IEC was going to regulate on the number of, of signatures and maybe give us guidance on how we can find or arrive at the formula for the deposit that needs to be paid by the independent candidates. In their previous presentation, if my memory serves me well, I remember they mentioned that the current political parties for national participation, they're paying about 200,000 and for the provincial, they are paying 45,000. Then um, there was the mentioning of a formula that was going to be given to us to be able to determine the deposit that needs to be paid by the independent candidates. Um, after the presentation that was presented before us by the IEC, I did not get an indication of uh, the number of signatures that need to be submitted, except for the percentages that was given to us. I'm not sure whether that decision, it is now coming back to us to decide on how many signatures the independent candidates need to provide, as well as the deposits. Uh, another thing that I, I'd like to get clarity on, Chaperson, there's something that was mentioned by Honorable Minister, especially concerning the um, independent candidates contesting in more than one region, that they'll be at an advantage than party candidates that are only participating or contesting in one region. I did not grasp the minister fully. I'd like to ask the minister maybe in his closing to, to just repeat what he was saying so that I can be sure that we are on the same page. Then if I have any comment or question, I will then come back again. Then on the other issues, Chaperson, I don't want to repeat what has been said by the colleagues. I think I am, I am covered. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Kanyele. Um, Honorable Mutise. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, I think I'm also largely covered by the submissions made by uh, Honorable Pillay. I just want to make an emphasis on the issue of uh, independent candidates contesting in all regions. I, I remember in the previous uh, discussions we had, we had not found consensus. However, I want to agree with the uh, proposals by the IEC that uh, independent candidates can be allowed or should be allowed to contest in all regions. 
my only concern is there is or what is not coming out clear it's the it's the uh, votes that would have been uh, garnered across all regions what happens then uh, are they going to be consolidated into one uh, vote or we are only going to accept or allow independents to to consider the the most highest votes that they would have uh, received from from regions instead of allowing them to collect votes from all regions and put them into one i think that would be unfair on on other on political parties and and secondly or lastly chair it's it's on the on the ratio of 200 to 250 50 i want to uh, uh, support that it should remain the same on on 200 to 250 to 50 instead of it being on 300 is to 100 or the other way around i think we should just uh, leave it as it is uh, chair thank you so much thank you very much uh, <clears throat> members for the your input um and for um resolving on the first report that was presented as your decision uh, on the issues uh, that uh, were covered. And I think it's important that you also zoomed into other issues that uh, you who, who could not uh, repeat the issues that demonstrated that the uh, um, consultation process uh, uh, of engagement on these uh, issues. And I think there's a uh, uh, resolve on all the issues uh, that uh, are are being raised by the by the recap uh, by the recap notes that formulate our 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 our, our resolutions. There are issues that uh, um, I will allow again the 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 IEC uh, to come back uh, comment on the issues that. Uh, are raised by by members uh, and they uh, will then have a, a process a flow if the the home affairs had uh, properly finalized their uh, responses uh, comment on details and i've we've highlighted earlier on that in principle we agreed we resolve on the issues that the uh, uh, must deal with in a, in the in electoral amendment which are we the drop formula the vacancy issues uh, and the number of votes but noting that they still have to come back who could have able to resolve on all the issues then we we proceed on the uh, uh, drafting of the of, of of the a list for purpose of uh, its presentation in our next meeting but i'll later on invite legal to make impression on the issues that i'm referring to commissioner love there may be other issues that may need to be commented on uh, which are relatively uh, your area of uh, 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 work uh, and you've indicated that the commissioner masuku and commissioner Miebza will also take participation in responses and then they will then invite uh, um, Mr. Mamabolo. I'm not sure whether we must start with Mr. Mamabolo and then we come to commissioners, but uh, you'll direct uh, Commissioner Love. Then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll then uh, uh, determine whether we need the minister to make comments uh, or 
um, consolidate their response as council consulted, and then we deal with one uh, a report in our next uh, session so that we finalize uh, the, the, this process. I'll be guided by 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 the minister. I'm just advising that that may be a, a proper way, but we'll get to the minister and the DM and the teaching. Commissioner Love. <clears throat> Thank you, Chairperson, and, and sorry for a moment ago. Um, Chairperson, I would like to ask that um, Commissioner Moyepia would, um, I think, respond in the broadest, uh, the, the broader terms to what um, the Honourable Kanyele was asking in relation to the actual number of signatures and, and, and so on. And then um, he can then direct um, there are the issues he wishes to raise and whether Dr. Masuka would like to come in, but then we will hand over to the CEO to, to sweep on the issues. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you in that order, uh, Commissioner Mieta. Thank you, Chairperson um, of the session. Um, 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 greetings to the Minister, the Deputy Minister, Honourable Members, um, colleagues, and, and everyone uh, on the platform. <clears throat> I, I wanted to start off with the... Um, independent contesting um, regions. Um, in other words, uh, the, the National Assembly election being seen as one huge constituency and anyone being able to contest uh, in that. Um, the CEO uh, went at length in the last meeting uh, of this committee and all we, we, we were saying was that uh, to the extent that independent candidates will be allowed to contest in more than one region. Um, that should be so, and, and same must be extended to political party candidates. And we did indicate that that would not mean that, um, you know, if, if, you, if you contest in a region, your, your votes are pulled from all regions to bolster one region um, necessarily. In fact, it wouldn't be so. And I think that should clarify the position on, on the equality treatment as well as the eligibility um, to contest um, regions for both independent candidates as well as uh, party candidates. The issue raised by Honorable Kanyele in relation to the numbers of signatures, we indicated that um, at every or ahead of every election, the Electoral Commission will invite, would normally invite, um, you know, professionals, economists, political analysts, parties, um, anyone in, in, in the nation to say the, the IEC will be considering, um, um, you know, how the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the requirements for deposits uh, would be, um, you know, for this particular election, taking into account the economic climate and so on and so forth. And on that basis, the, the commission would then determine. We made that offer uh, as an option to the committee to consider. And I think, um, as legal indicated, what we understood was that there was a general warming up to the idea but the committee would need to make a decision as to whether it it, it does uh, it prefers a different method or the determination of um, 
of, of deposits um, in a different way. In relation to signatures, the, the Commission has previously um, considered the issue of signatures. Um, we have indicated in this instance that it is important that an objective criteria is, is sought. Um, that's why um, the, the submission was that perhaps that object, uh, objective criteria could be found in looking at what the, the, um, the, the proportion would be based on a previous election. And, and that suggestion really deals from our point of view with a number of issues. One, it is evident everyone can calculate and see that. It, it makes it very easy uh, to understand and, and very clear to, to know what the quantum would be. What we have not said is whether that quantum should be 1% of, of that previous proportion or, I mean, um, allocation or 2% um, or 3%. The numbers are those that um, in our presentation today we have provided you. 50% gives you a fairly high number, as you have seen. 15% still um, at the lower end, I think, gives you about 13,000 um, uh, signatures that an independent may be required. We have also acknowledged that there is a differentiation uh, on the depository that I go back there, that when one contests um, a province, it is not the same amount as one contesting uh, the, the, um, the National Assembly. But in the event where we have three ballots, we may need to determine three distinct deposits for each type of, of ballot. I think, I think that's really where I wanted to, to, to comment. The rest of the matters, we noted that members on the issues that we have dealt with um, did not raise further questions as far as I could pick up. I thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, uh, Commissioner uh, Muebza. Um, Commissioner Masuko. Uh, th th thank you very much, Chairperson uh, uh, of the session, and good morning to um, to you, Minister, and uh, all the honourable mem members on the platform. I don't have anything further to add um, that that will be useful at this point in time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner uh, Masuku. Thank you very much, um, Mr. Mamabulu. Thanks, Chairperson, and thanks, um, uh, Commissioner Love. Um, I think uh, Commissioner Mayabja um, has dealt with the issues that we needed, um, that required the response on our part. And for now, um, there's nothing more to add. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mamabulo, and thank uh, Commissioner Masuku and Commissioner Mayabja and the Commissioner Love. Um, Minister, I... Uh, already attempting to caution that, uh, but I will not want to limit you to come back and comment uh, whether you will want to make uh, responses um, outside your council uh, team, um, or you can make comments uh, and then further so that when your responses, when their responses from the council uh, to the committee um, 
it may affirm your your views or uh, correct uh, uh, your views. Uh, uh, I'm sure you'll 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 indicate which one you want us to uh, to uh, uh, to note, uh, Minister. I'm just inviting you as a result of the comments made by members. Yeah, no, Chairperson, I would rather wait for our council uh, to give the advices so that uh, when we come to present to you, it is because we will have been advised legally because quite a number of issues, as our council has said, are quite complex. So I would like to venture in them outside the advice of the council. I'm just hoping, as promised, it will be by this week. Uh, and then we'll submit them to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> thank you very much, Minister. And I think that is a, a fair process so that we we were detailed on the issues. Uh, I'll invite Mr. Njikela uh, if there's comment uh, they will want to, to make and the state law advisor um, on the issues that uh, were raised. Let me start with the state law advisor. Mr. Williams, sorry, Ms. Williams or Ms. Governor. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, good morning, Chairperson, and good morning, honorable members. At this stage, Chairperson, um, in respect of preparation for the A list, I think there's lots of issues which are still outstanding. And I think in order to, to prepare that A list, we need, um, we need definitive um, responses from the committee. Um, so that we can clearly crystallize as to what the proposed amendments is. I think there's lots of outstanding matters, and it's largely related to policy. And, um, yeah, and as soon as the committee has um, provided clear, um, clear instructions with regard to which amendments it wants to make to the legislation itself, we will be able to move um, we will be able to prepare the A-list in respect of this matter. I think lots of the things that um, the parliamentary law advisor also eloquently um, raised earlier on was um, there's lots of areas where clarity needs to be made, where decisions need to be taken. And once those decisions are made and taken, it will be clearer as to how we proceed with the A-list. Thanks, Chair. Thank you very much. Miguel, uh, team. Mr. Um, oh, sorry, good Dr. morning. Um, yes, Chair, it's Dr. Yeah. I think Mr. Chikela, we've lost him because of load shedding. Um, I want to echo what uh, Ms. Williams has said, that uh, there's certainly lots of uh, issues still outstanding where certain firm decisions need to be made, and this will, um, with all anticipation, be made after the committee has also heard from the Department of Home Affairs. Um, but we've definitely taken note of the deliberations, but uh, in order to prepare that A-list and getting that ball rolling, we definitely still need firm decisions on lots of issues. A case in point is that while in principle um, members agree that the term party liaison committee should change, we now heard that there are two possibilities. Should we call it the political liaison committee? Should we call it a liaison committee? And until decisions like those are made, then only we can prepare the A-list. But Chairperson, I also just want to say that um, unless I missed it, I didn't hear much deliberation on the detail of how the bill should provide for agents for independent candidates. 
I understand that there's in principle agreement that independent candidates should have agents, but again, we're missing the, the detail on how it should be provided for. Should independent candidates have one agent at every voting station? Should they have two? So I just want to alert the committee that those are still decisions that also need to be made um, so that we can start preparing the A-list. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much, uh, members. Is there any other matter you want to raise? Okay. Uh, I think, uh, thanks very much uh, uh, for uh, the IEC um, and the legal team, um, the state law advisor uh, and members uh, for having have deliberated on the on the on the issues and considered uh, on the uh, uh, earlier principal decision we've taken and reaffirm on them and we're noting that uh, there are certain issues that uh, we, we ought to re- resolve on uh, uh, pending the the detailed response of the dha or audience that uh, we must give a uh, dha to uh, to respond and which must take us to uh, the drafting as on the of the a list as it been indicated by the by the uh, uh, legal uh, uh, team and that will able to assist the the, the committee uh, once the the dha has uh, uh, presented uh, some of the issues uh, uh, that they had to to look at and which will uh, the the overall assessment of the deliberation on the issues uh, that are agreed to in terms of the what have been presented by the legal team and the content advisor. The committee in principle um, uh, are, resol- are agreeing on the issues uh, uh, that have been, have been raised. Where there were a different expression of views, I uh, think it's been demonstrated that we've come closer to each other in terms of the consensus on the issues that may need to be, to be dealt with. Minister, what will happen is that we'll then uh, come back on Tuesday uh, um, on the issues that DHA uh, have to present to the to the committee and on the matter that you have raised on uh, that sufficiently need to be dealt with in our next meeting. The next meeting will then take uh, resolutions on the key issues uh, that we have. Uh, put before us. And you remember that uh, members in our last two committee meetings will dealt with the clause by clause uh, uh, issues uh, where we've in principle resolved on certain on certain matters. And this meeting uh, and also the presentation of the IEC um, give us a, a, a proper uh, understanding on the issues that uh, were raised in our last uh, meeting. We'll then in the next committee uh, portfolio committee meeting, resolve on the issues that uh, are outstanding, uh, which are related uh, on, the, on, on, on the policy and where there's uh, no convergence. And I think uh, as members, we've managed to, uh, to rise up to have consensus on, on it. Once we've received a minister and his team, we'll be able to finalize and allow the, the A-list uh, uh, to, to be taken, uh, uh, to, be, to be drafted. We'll then step off of this matter, uh, Minister and Honourable Members, this item. Um, and Commissioner Love, uh, thanks very much, um, and the Minister. And uh, 
then get into the government uh, uh, printing works. I think that is our understanding, uh, honorable members, uh, on how we'll deal with the finality of this matter in our next uh, uh, committee meeting. Can I establish from um, honorable uh, uh, Pile, honorable Ross, and honorable Honorable uh, 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 Ross? Uh, yes, Chairperson, I, I agree with the proposed uh, process. Honorable Pile? Uh, I agree, Chair. Thank you. Honorable Modise? Honorable Kanyele? I agree, Chair. Thank you. Honorable Kanyele? I agree, Chairperson. Thank you. Honorable Lekhwase? Okay, so then we'll then have to uh, um, redraft decisions that have been tentatively taken, uh, Mr. Salmon and uh, uh, Daksha, uh, so that we're able to uh, present comprehensively on the issues that the committee has considered for purpose of affirming our decision in our next uh, in our next meeting. Thanks very much. Uh, we're stepping off this item. I'm going to invite uh, Minister. Oh, uh, sorry, Commissioner Love, I thought you, you were raising a hand. Uh, so um, No, Chairperson, it's just to greet uh, yourselves and colleagues and to ask that we could be excused um, uh, um, unless you are still needing us. No, no, no. Thank, thanks very much, uh, uh, Commissioner Love, uh, Commissioner Masuku, Commissioner Muebza, and uh, uh, Head of Administration, uh, Commissioner, sorry, Mr. Mamabolo and the team, uh, for sufficiently have uh, uh, gave technical advices on the committee on the practical issues uh, that uh, you have considered, and the committee may need to look on 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 it. Thanks very much uh, for your time. We are now releasing you, Commissioner Love, and your team. Uh, we are now inviting Minister Mtualedi. Uh, and the task team on the report. Uh, Minister, you'll introduce the task team members and then you'll lead us in the uh, presentation. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, please allow me to mute uh, the video so that I, I was just trying to show myself to show that you are not speaking to a robot. I'm here. <laughs> In the video, so that no, no. Uh, there should be no disturbances. Uh, Chairperson, uh, I'm presenting to you the team, uh, a panel which was chosen to do certain work at the government printing works. But just as a background, I want to remind you that after the collapse, I mean, of ICT systems on the 4th of February, 2021, uh, at the government printing works. One was very worried about the implications. And uh, you may remember that there's a gentleman who has whistleblowed and come and changed in the form of an avidavid which was sent to the Speaker of Parliament. And he claimed that what happened there was, an, was not an accident. It is something that has been planned 
either by omission or by commission. That worried me a lot. That statement worried me a lot, Chairperson. It made me spend sleepless nights because that is a national key point where security is very important. You like to have people who make things collapse uh, deliberately for whatever motive. And so it was worrying. Secondly, it worried me when uh, the legal profession uh, started showing that they are unable to work to finalize and execute estates because uh, they could not get certain documents that they want. That also worried me a lot because it can hold uh, the economy of the country at ransom. I was even more worried because, Chairperson, I appeared in front of this committee to announce to you the foothold that we we uh, 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 we starting to gain on the African continent in the manner of servicing them. I spoke to you about countries on the continent, starting with Namibia, who want us to print very important security documents for them. Subsequent to my announcing about Namibia, Kenya came on board and at the level, very, very high level of presidents, whereby President Ramaphosa and President Uhuru Kenyatta signed an agreement on behalf of government printing works of the work that is going to be done. Since that time, many other countries came to the fore. Last week, I had a lengthy meeting with the ambassador of the DRC. The amount of work they want us to do for DRC is overwhelming. Uh, Please let me not mention it here for fear of counting one's chickens before they are hatched. So the questions I was having was, uh, if we accept work from so many countries, are we about to uh, disappoint them, especially on security issues, when they've given all the tra- when they've put all the trust in our hands, uh, by virtue of some of the things that are happening there? For that reason, I approach the president and ask him to choose a presidential tribunal, which will investigate exactly what is going on there. And later, I got the response from the president that actually, as a minister in that particular area, I have got the right and the power to appoint such a a tribunal. And that's why I chose to appoint uh, the panel. The panel was firstly going to inspect the uh, the loss of data. How was it lost? Members of the committee will remember that they were told when they were there, that there was a power search, uh, like we've got uh, uh, this ESCOM problem now, that is a power search that damaged things there. So they were supposed to investigate that uh, and and, and they lost data to investigate if it could ever be recovered and if it can be, how are we going to uh, recover that data? They were also supposed to look at security, because you remember the committee came to government printing works and they were told about uh, uh, applications for jobs, uh, for CVs which were stolen, and specific ones were stolen, and it will be quite discouraging for South Africans to apply for jobs only to find that their CVs are selectively stolen. Uh, I won't feel safe if I'm a member of the public 
applying for a job in that institution. So they were supposed to also look into that. And then they were supposed to come with recommendation. While recommendations will obviously be about uh, consequence management, but the most important recommendation as far as I'm concerned was the issue of ICT governance, uh, uh, ICT governance, uh, digital transformation, and uh, the corporate and physical governance of the whole institution by virtue of saving the countries I've mentioned. I wanted very strong recommendations on that so that when I come to you to boast about the number of companies, I mean, of countries that are using government printing works, it will be that I'm reassured that there is no uh, misdemeanor that will happen to such countries because it will be extremely unfair to them. So uh, I, I was looking forward for a strong recommendation in that regard. So Chairperson, I will take uh, only two slides of the overview. From there, I'll give over to one of the team members to start with is to do the slides on introductions, uh, findings, and, and finally, recommendations. As an overview, Chairperson, I think I've already given a lot of what the committee was there. That is on slide number two. Can can it be can the slides be put on the on the what you call please? I was about to ask that. Can uh, you put on the screen? Sorry? Yes. Can you go to slide number two? Put it on slideshow, please. Yeah. So I've already spoken about that first paragraph. The, the committee I chose, the panel rather, consisted of advocate Mujangu Gumbi. As you know, uh, they've put the position where she is now, but you are aware that she was the legal advisor uh, to President Tawombegi. She was a chairperson from June uh, to August 2021, but she was called over to deal with the issues of the July unrest, as you know. She never left the committee, but she just left the chairpersonship and became an ordinary member of the committee. She's here today in the panel, and she gave over the chairpersonship to uh, Mr. Papati Robert Malavi, uh, who uh, is going to take us on on the presentation after, because he took over the chairpersonship from Advocate Kumbi. When Advocate Kumbi came back from the presidential uh, work on the uh, 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 July unrest, she never took back the chairpersonship. She allowed Ndade uh, Malavi to continue. So he will take you through the findings and everything. Then there's Dr. Batanda Siswan. As I told you, specializing in financial management and audit management and corporate and fiscal governance. Then there is Dr. Charles uh, Modau, specializing in ICT governance. As I told you, I'm more worried about ICT governance uh, of uh, government printing works, also in digital transformation. Then there is Mr. Mporatore on operational issues and production issues, because we are going to be producing a lot of work for other uh, uh, countries. Then there's Ms. Rosina Botright, who is an investigator, specializing in investigation. Then there is Dr. George Sibia. Dr. George Sibia is, is, is one of the prominent members of the uh, 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 CSIR, the Council for Scientific and Research, Industrial Research. He's one of the principal researchers there on technologies, uh, in technology and engineering. And uh, his job was really the ICT governance. Uh, 
Can you move over the slide? Uh, slide number three uh, shows that the panel decided that in order to do their work, looking at the term of reference, they divided uh, uh, the, their, their investigation into six clusters. The first cluster, the ICT management, which I've mentioned it again and again and again. The second cluster is about corporate government, governance, legal advisory services and investigation. Then the third one about the human resources of the institution. Then the financial management being the fourth. And security management, uh, both fiscal and electronic. I told you, security is very important in an institution that is taking the responsibility to hold uh, secrets uh, of other countries. So they had to look at both the physical and, and electronic security. And then from there on operation and production. As, Cluster number six. Uh, I will then give over to Ndati Malavi to start with slide four on introduction and then continue over to the findings and then from there to uh, and finish with the recommendations. Thank you. Ndati Malavi, can you take over, please? Through you, Chairperson, please. Yes, thank you, Minister. Uh, uh, you can proceed. Hello, good morning, good day, Chairperson, Minister, and members of the Portfolio Committee, and my colleagues who are here from the panel. Uh, as already... Malavi, sorry, if you just show your face and then mute the mic, definitely, I don't think many members have seen you before. They just okay. know what you look like. Yeah, so Is it maybe... Showing? Yeah, maybe you can establish that principle that uh, when even panel members, if they're going to respond, they may just show because you know there's a problem of network uh, load shading. Uh, Is it showing? No, it doesn't show. It's just show Papati Malawi. If you can uh, switch on your video. Can't get the video here. Start a mute video. Okay, proceed, Mr. Malav. Yes, just press proceed. a mute video. Okay. No, I think you can, you can proceed, Mr. Malavi. We'll, we'll deal with the logistics later. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, as I said, uh, as already alluded to by the minister, my name is Papa G. Robert Malavi, and I'm... Um, the current chairperson of the panel uh, after uh, Advocate Mujanku. And uh, I will start from introduction. And on 4 February 2021, a server supporting corporate services and e-government and government printing works crashed. The crash resulted in a loss of critical data, a part of which the ministerial panel was informed has been informed never, may never be recovered. ICT division staff members informed the panel that the crash was caused by a surge in electricity when power resumed after a blackout. The panel con uh, uh, established from ESCOM and the city of Tswani uh, that on that 
on the relevant days, there were no outages around the area. And the panel subsequently found that the surge was caused by non-compliant electrical installations at Pavilion 2, which housed the crashed server. The panel's key finding in that in, is that the incident of 4 February 2021 was caused by poor maintenance of ICT infrastructure due to essentially the fact that the CIO and his team did not know how to perform proper functions on the server, such as loading of disks, scrubbing them before loading new data and ensuring that there's proper backups should there be a problem because ITT equipment do fail and all this accompanied by a lack of support and maintenance contracts uh, with service provider for servicing the ICT-related equipment. Underpinning these issues, however, is a failure of management and supervision at various levels, which are the ultimate cause of systematic failures at GPW, especially illustrated in the slides that follow. And the next slide, uh, prior to the event of 4 February, the server was, the server was procured to migrate data from the damaged Hewlett Packard Enterprise Virtual Array server. The panel was informed by the EVAS uh, original equipment manufacturers, that is Hewlett Packard, that the damaged unit had been installed in April 2011 and that support and the provision of patches had been terminated on 31st May 2017. And after this date, Hewlett Packard uh, was engaged on the uh, uh, time and material support basis when support was needed for the maintenance of the EVE. Uh, though the IC team had not been part of the procurement of the uh, hyperconverged server in 2017, uh, they had a period from 2017 to uh, 4 February 2021 to migrate the data from the damaged EVE to the new uh, hyperconverged infrastructure. During 2018, talks of migrating services from the EVA uh, to the hyperconverged infrastructure began. The last known support on maintenance contract from uh, Hewlett Packard on a part and uh, material time support basis ended in 2018. In October 2018, HP provided a budgetary code uh, for data center maintenance, which would include all HPE asset, the panel was informed by the ICT team that this code was rejected on the basis that it was too expensive. In November 2018, the chief information officer who has since resigned uh, in January 2022 submitted requirements to the then chief financial officer for a tendering process to secure a new hardware maintenance and support contract. The CIO submitted a, rem a reminder in 2019 and response from the supply chain management was that uh, uh, the suppliers did not respond. Uh, on 23, the slide, the next slide. On 23 April 2019, the servicing of the UPS undertaken by Tescom that is a third party specializing in UPS products, identified the need to replace the parallel board, which had been overheating. The batteries on both UPSs were found to be in good condition. 
In October 2019, it was discovered that a backup library was not functioning optimally and that uh, tape drives were failing. The replacement of tape library disk devices was performed by the deputy director infrastructure specialist. During 2020, the tape library was repaired in-house. Delayed were experiencing result of procured tape drives and the robotic arm which was found to be uh, faulty in need of repairs. In July 2020, more frequent EVA uh, hard drive failures were reported. The infrastructure specialist made a request for this to be replaced, and the director operation highlighted the need to migrate, uh, migration to be effected, which at this point had been delayed for close to two years. Records show that hard drive failures had been occurring since 2015, and application for a firmware upgrade for the EVA was made by the then CEO. The next slide, ICT service interruptions occurred on the morning of 2 December 2020. Subsequently, the Deputy Director Infrastructure Specialist scheduled a meeting on 3 December 2020 to revise the migration project. In this communication, the Infrastructure Specialist said this morning service interruption is a sign this EVA is one foot in the grave already. This showed an awareness by the IT team of the agency of moving data from the crashed EVA. And the UPSs were serviced on 22 January 2021, almost two years after the previous service in 2019. On this UPS service date, the batteries were identified as needing replacement, but were not replaced until after the incident of 4 February 2021. On the latter day, an alleged power surge uh, occurred in Pavilion 2 server room at GPW Fisal Street, leading to the collapse of the UPSs and the EVA storage unit, which still hosted critical system databases, which were in the process of being migrated. Although the acting facilities manager and the CIO were notified in writing regarding this aspect by TESCOM, no attempt was made to attend to the replacement of the batteries prior to the incident of 4 February 2021. And the next slide. Uh, upon identification by the GAP staff about power issues in the server room office uh, for, on the 4th of February 2021, Tescom South Africa, a party specializing in UPSs, was called to assess the server situation. Tescom identified issues with the two UPSs, the replacement of the batteries in both as well as electronic component, that is the switch overboard, which was also damaged during the incident. On the day of the interview with the panel, that is on 26 August 2021, Tescom informed uh, the panel that they had not been able to determine whether the UPSS batteries had collapsed first or whether the switchover electronic circuit board had been damaged first. Either way, Tescom South Africa informed the panel that the collapse of the UPS was due to non-maintenance. To System downtime collapse are expected in any organization. The explanation from IT headed by the CIO for system downtime on the 4th of February 2021 is that there was an electricity surge 
which was caused by uh, load shedding, not non-compliant installation. Uh, 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 when, the, when informed about the reports from ESCOM and City of Swane indicating that there had been no power outages on the 4th of February around the area of the server room, the CIO claimed that the surges were internal to GPW, attributable, attributable to the power reticulation issues dating from 2019 at Pavilion 2, where the server room was located, which had not been attended to as at 4 February 2021. The next slide. A report from uh, by Oricon, a service provider contacted by GPW in 2019 to test the power reticulation at Pavilion 2, had found that the electrical installation were not compliant and that the power distribution box had been breached in order to prevent the power supply from, from tripping. The contractor further found that the two UPSs were old, outdated, poorly maintained, and needed to be replaced by UPSs with hot swappable capability because of the sensitive nature of the data center environment. As a result, when the alleged power surge occurred on 4 February 2021, both UPSs collapsed and the unfiltered grid power damaged the EVA server, which hosted the e-gazette, financial management, and other data. The panel was advised by CCSSI and HPE, uh, which were the original manufacturers of the server, that even if there had been a power surge, the UPS should have been capable of maintaining the power supply to the servers, provided they have been in good condition and properly maintained. The event on and after the server crash of 4 February are summarized in, reflected in the slides number 10 to 12. Uh, these slides were copied from a report that was prepared for the parliamentary committee uh, when it visited GPW. So it's already recorded in parliament. There will be no need to go through it. Uh, that is uh, slide number 10 and slide number 11 and slide number 12. And we'll go to continuity management. That is the findings. The following slide, the following expert opinions were open, uh, obtained during the course of the review. Tescom South Africa, uh, that specializes in UPSs, stated that the collapse was due to lack of maintenance, most notably the non-replacement of the batteries, as recommended on 22. January 2021. Hewlett-Packard Enterprise stated that non-adherence to protocols in respect of replacement of disks and grouping of such disks uh, due to the interrupted, corrupted metadata, the data is unrecoverable. Uh, that, uh, that HPE was the second service provider to try to restore the EVA once the power had been restored in the server room by uh, Tescom. CSSI, from, March, uh, from 17 March 2021 and after HP attempt to resolve the server issue, CSSI, uh, uh, third-party data recovery specialist service provider also attempted 
data recovery from the EVA storage unit due to corrupted metadata stated that the data is unrecoverable. Uh, expect to work on such a recovery are limited and tools do not exist in the open market. The ministerial review panel's opinion is that data from the uh, HP EVA is unrecoverable based on expect opinions. The main contributor to the loss of data is the absence of backups covering the period 2019-2020 up to 4 February 2021. The next slide is IT governance and continuity management. In 2009, GPW took a decision to outsource ICT and had prepared a business case for the outsourcing, which was approved by the Minister of Home Affairs and concurred to by the a Minister of Public Service Administration and Administration. JPW, former and current management, informed the panel that around 2016-17, a decision was taken to insource ICT resources that had been outsourced in 2010 after completion of phase one of the design of the enterprise resource planning solution for JPW. The panel was not provided with a copy of Exco minutes in which such a decision was recorded or a business case approved by the Minister for GPW to impact on such a project. The GPW current CEO considered that there had been no formal decision to insource ICT, but that the idea had arisen from a recommendation made in a strategic workshop held by GPW during that period. According to GPW strategic plan for the fiscal year 2017-2021, ICT had been located as a cost center in the strategic management branch. And the next slide, on 7 August 2018, a notification to terminate the DEC system contract uh, for provision of IT solution resources, enterprise resource planning solution, Microsoft Dynamics AX, which include critical IC solution model proposed by the then CIO, Mr. Aplene, had been approved by the then uh, General Manager of Financial Services, Mrs. Mayer, and by the acting CEO, Mrs. Moyo, with the acting CEO remarking, just make sure we comply with supply chain with, and we do not compromise business operation. It said the application for approval to terminate the DEC contract, the CIO, in the set application, the CIO stated that the reason for the termination of the contract was that GPW had built internal capacity to perform the specialist functions, which had been provided by the service provider. From an analysis of documents provided, the panel established that this was not the case. In an interview with the panel, uh, GPW, um, General Manager Human Resources confirmed that they had not developed any human resource plan for ICT in sourcing and therefore no scoping had been done for the critical skills that would have been required for the success of the project. She stated that human resources had not received any input in this regard from the CIO before the organizational structural review in 2018. Uh, that's next slide. Uh, the GPTW strategic plan for fiscal year 2017-2021 did not provide for ICT as an insourced function. There's its decision to, resource the number of con to reduce the number of consultants 
and in-source ITC function taken approximately 2016-2017 was not aligned with GPW strategic plan 2017-2021. There was no executive authority decision for the restructuring as required by PSA regulation. The then CEO, Ms. Moyo, uh, 2021, even though she cautioned against compromising business operations, she, uh, did not ensure that uh, the requisite IC skills were available before approving the contract for the termination, I mean, before approving the termination of the contract for the service providers. The GMHR and acting current CEO received the request from the CIO to strengthen the IC skill for GPW. This request was dated uh, 20, I mean, 19 October 2020. The next slide. Uh, ESCO failed to, to act on such a request prior to the incident of 4 February 2021. And based by the, on the evidence submitted by the CIO, the request for support of contract for critical skills, ICT resources for a period of two years while the recruitment policy was unfolding, dated signed 19 October by the DENCI was not approved by the acting CEO, Ms. Fossey. The CEO and the GM HR, Ms. Mudize, followed the prescripts of the Public Service Act in waiting for an approved structure before appointing new skills that the CIO had requested. There was a failure to mitigate the immediate need for the skills. They created the this created a capacity challenge and the required ICT resources included the following, that is security architectures, system center operation manager, VM engineer, and IT governance manager. Those were the skills that were provided for by DEC for which the contract was terminated. The CIO, Mr. Apleni, failed to exercise foresight in not desisting from embarking on such a critical project without an approved business case and a human resource plan first having been devised and approved. Mr. Aplenik acted with reckless disregard for GPW business continuity in making a business case for the termination of service providers constantly before the requisite skills were in place and proper transfer of skills had taken place. And move to ICT governance in the next slide again. Management of ICT environmentals, including air conditioning and UPSs, was inadequate and critical controls of ICT data center were not maintained and supported, resulting in the incident of 4 February 2021. GPW is a national key point, and the role of the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure in supporting GPW, uh, uh, whether it had capacity adequately to support GPW is not clear. Management indicated that GPW had not been providing the required services to GPW. The next slide. Failure to recover lost data after the incident of 4 February uh, 2021 clearly demonstrate that the two recovery sites, that is at the CSIR and Postman Street offices, were non-functional. During a visit to the data center, 
26 July 2021, the panel observed that the UPSs had not been serviced as a planned schedule. According to the service register, the UPSs were serviced on 23 April 2019 and were due for service in April 2020. The service was only conducted in 22 January 2021. That is 10 months after the scheduled date. Infrastructure, including HP servers, was antiquated and no longer supported by uh, the OEM warranties or suppliers. Uh, The next slide. Key internal and external audit findings remained unresolved. The audit Areas include inadequate business continuity planning, inadequate policy and procedures, lack of alignment between business continuity and disaster recovery planning, and lack of project management. The ICT steering committee was found to be ineffective. The ICT steering committee terms of reference are specific on the mandate of the committee, and these are reflected in the minutes of the meeting held on 30 June 2020. The ICT the governance framework was inadequate and not aligned with applicable ICT governance requirement as per DPSA ICT governance policy framework. Critical ICT governance documents to assist in the management of ICT operations and decision making had not been reviewed annually for relevance and audit. 13 ICT government documents were seen by the panel were not reviewed annually in terms of the best practices and audit requirements. GPW Advisory Council was not uh, as mandated, was not appointed as mandated by the regulatory proclamation of 2009 after the terms of term of uh, the previous council expired. The next slide is IT security, uh, physical security. Uh, the panel identifies system val- vulnerabilities, including unsupported operating systems and applications were not adhered, attended to. Critical security risks were identified in the risk register 2021 and need to be attended to. There was inadequate vetting of GPW employees. And regarding the surveillance footage around the server room, uh, the panel observed that in the server room, the camera facing the door was not co- connected to any application and was therefore non-functional. The current CEO, while giving a background of theft of human resource-related document, accepts concerned that the lack of security camera footage cited in the incident, as, uh, among other incidents, that lacked security camera footage. There was inadequate storage resources for surveillance records. And the next slide is with regard to investigation of act of information leakage and culture of misinformation to third parties outside to GPW. And this included theft of documents. This matter was referred to the Hawks, but also internal processes were undertaken in GPW in accordance with the uh, public service disciplinary code and procedures. And uh, the nature of the misconduct reflected was uh, negligent in respect of two, two, 
junior employees and dereliction of duties in respect of two senior managers. These employees were uh, Mr. S. Kana, Recruitment Officer, Ms. Budisha, GMHR, Ms. Rousseau, Director HR, and Ms. Kosana, Recruitment Officer. And uh, contract management. The next slide. GPW had faced challenges in terms of contract management. The panel made a preliminary finding that the awarding of contracts to tax system and intervate did not follow prescribed supply chain management processes. The panel recommends that a forensic investigation be carried out to look into the two contracts. And in fact, in this area, that is where the panel found that uh, there were a lot of shortcomings. And that is why we are recommending a forensic audit. Initially, JPW staff did not want to give us any original contracts of the identified uh, companies. Uh, we had to, to, to ask for the intervention of the current CEO who assisted us because everyone in GPW pretended that they didn't know anything about those contracts. And also there was a deviation process abuse. The process noted of regular requests for deviation from GPW to National Treasury. The panel requests that National Treasury look at the reasons for these applications. And in fact, uh, the panel wrote to the procurement officer and the procurement officer asking whether the procurement officer has seen the original contracts for which deviations were applied for. And the reply was that those contracts are with GPW and GPW couldn't give us those contracts. Sole suppliers and evergreen contracts. The panel found that GPW had long-term sole supplier contracts within the security printing environment that GPW, such contracts can be justified. The control measure is to have such contracts reviewed regularly. GPW had written to National Treasury for best practice on the sole supply and clarity of the Evergreen contracts. No evidence was found that National Treasury has responded to this contract. And in fact, when we asked for the contract register, that was another issue that uh, GPW was not prepared to be supportive. And we, the, the current CEO also showed a letter that she wrote to National Treasury asking for assistance and National Treasury, uh, according to our observation, never responded. The panel urges the National Treasury to respond to the request of GPW. And then on the question of compromised recruitment, again, on this, that's the next slide, on this issue, uh, when we came to uh, started uh, probing uh, incidents at GPW related to uh, the 4th February 2021, we were informed that uh, all posts were filled according to PS, I mean PSA pres DPSA prescripts. But then, uh, on further probing, we requested documents to show that. Uh, uh, if there were no irregular contracts. Among those documents that were given to us by the current CEO, we observed that in 2016, a candidate for the position of CFO submitted the application for the position four days 
after the closing date for the submission of application, but was never disqualified for this. The candidate was interviewed and subsequently appointed as CFO. And in 2010, again, a candidate for the position of CFO was offered the position, but refused to sign a contract of employment because he did not want to make contributions to the government employees' pension fund. He, however, continued to work for GPW until 2018 without a valid contract of employment. There was no evidence that the Auditor General ever referred to this irregularity. This appointment must be investigated with immediate effect, including all the contracts approved by the said uh, incumbent, that is Mr. Barnard, while he was irregularly occupying the post of CFO. GPW should put the next slide. GPW should put a contingency plan in place, including the procurement of critical skills through a CETA transversal tender for professional services until the approved ICC posts are filled. We are informed that this has already taken place. GPW should ensure that its policies, strategic objectives, and operations are compliant with all relevant international standards. GPW should evaluate which standards are the most appropriate to implement over and above the mandatory standards required by customer and international requirements. The adoption of ISO standards should form part of GPW strategic objectives and annual performance plans. GPW need to ascertain that uh, resource requirements to implement and maintain compliance to the standards capacitated in the organization accordingly in order to ensure sustainability. The findings of the following expert report should be implemented. That is Texcom South Africa, HPE, uh, CSSI, Oricon, and the AXA. Uh, uh, consequence management. Consideration of a disciplinary action against the acting CEO that is during the period 2017-2018 in relation to acting in restless disregard of GPW business continuity in approving the business case for the termination of the contracts of the service provider who provided the outsourced ICT skills and that's putting GPW business continuity at risk. Should she still be in the employee in government the matter should be, can be referred to the relevant accounting authority for consideration. The same should apply to all those who recommended such approval. Disciplinary action for gross negligence should be considered against the CIO, Mr. Aplene as head of the ICT team. Mr. Aplene has since resigned from GPW. However, uh, should he still be in the government employment, the matter can be referred to the relevant uh, uh, accounting officer for consideration. And let me pause to just say here that uh, Mr. Aplene, after the interview that we had with him uh, uh, regarding the uh, non-compliant electrical installations, we dated from 2019 and were not attended to until the time the server crashed. Uh, the next month thereafter, he resigned from GPW. Ms. Mayor, former CFO, should be cautioned for the decision to appoint Mr. Moodley for two positions 
i.e. the Bid Adjudication Committee and Bid Evaluation Committee, Chairperson, which practice is against the principle of good governance, especially the Code of Conduct for Bid Adjudication Committees issued in 2006 by National Treasury. Mr. K. Moodley should be cautioned that he should not accept nominations that are not in line with uh, National Treasury norms and standards, spirits of good governance and the relevant practice notes, especially Code of Conduct for Adjudication Committees issued in 2006 by National Treasury. An independent uh, party should be appointed to review Mr. Shibas's report on allegation of unethical conduct, including a report of his disciplinary hearing. This must include a forensic report on cleaning services contract, and all recommendations must be implemented. Uh, the next slide, consequence management. Again, disciplinary action should be considered against the head of security, director security, services, that is uh, Mr. Lohwabe, for identified security breaches. Disciplinary action should also be considered against the Deputy Director Infrastructure Specialist, Mr. Bezelinot, and the Deputy Director Database Specialist, Mr. Jaguja, for failing to ensure that the replacement disk the crash server were scrapped and uh, the, that data centers were, uh, adequ- were adequately backed up. Uh, let me mention here that Mr. Bezerinot has also since resigned from, from GPW. The GMHR and the CEO, even though they acted in accordance with DPA's prescript by not agreeing to the artwork restructuring of GPW IC division, should have ensured that the decision for the termination of the contract of the service provider for critical skills was mitigated through the approval of business case by the CIO for the sourcing of the critical skills through a transversal CETA tender as one option. The executive authority should consider cautioning the incumbents to understand the importance of ICT function in the organization and to ensure that this incident should not happen again. Let me mention here that uh, the panel here, when making this decision, uh, was faced with a very serious, uh, had to make a, a, a decision that was appropriate because here are uh, incumbents that were acting in accordance with the prescripts of the PSA that were saying there is no budget. And in fact, what was happening was not in accordance with the strategic plan for that current fiscal period. And uh, their failure was only that they did not see it uh, necessary to mitigate uh, the skills that were uh, terminated by the termination of the contract for critical skills. And we felt that in building in the incumbents, when it comes to organization, at least uh, they should be given a caution that if they are faced with such issues, they can't be left uh, not being resolved. At least they should be reversed to the executive authority of the department to resolve. Uh, that is the report of the panel. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, thanks very much, uh, uh, Mr. Malabi. And we want to thank the entire committee team, the task team that has dealt with the the issues of uh, the uh, uh, this uh, um, and want to appreciate uh, the work that has went into the uh, uh, developing uh, this report. And I think you know that uh, the the committee did, as per the introduction of the minister, um, conducted an oversight on uh, several occasions with attempt to come closer to the issues uh, that are arising as allegations or those that have been submitted uh, before the portfolio committee um, and want to take this uh, uh, moment to appreciate uh, this chief uh, that you have been appointed by the minister. You have indeed uh, dealt with those uh, issues. We carefully look on the recommendations that have been um, uh, presented before uh, the committee, and members of the committee will interact with the with the report. Um, and will further be finished with the uh, report so that we are going to, at the end of the these uh, uh, deliberations, will outline a process uh, on how we must trace the recommendations that have been uh, uh, put uh, before the, the committee. We will allow uh, members to uh, raise comments or uh, uh, questions and will allow through you, Mr. Malabi, as the chair, and all the committee members who are here in the meeting to give responses on the issues that will be raised. Then we'll then later on get to the minister to make closing comment and will outline a process on how the committee, given the input of members of the committee, guiding the process on how we're going to move on this uh, important report that we are presenting. I'm going to invite members of the committee uh, to make input. I'll start with Honorable uh, uh, Pile, uh, Honorable uh, Kanile, Honorable uh, Ruos, Honorable Hwase, Honorable Petito, uh, uh, if you've joined, uh, and Honorable uh, Modise. And then we'll then allow the task team to comment on the, on, on, on the report. On the, sorry, on the on the comments or respond on the comments made by our members, and then later the minister will comment. Uh, then we'll uh, uh, outline a process in that order. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Uh, firstly, let me appreciate the report that we've received, and also join you uh, in appreciating and thanking the committee that was set up. Um, I must admit, Chair, that it's quite a lengthy report, and so it may be difficult to zoom into item per item. Uh, and I'm just going to give uh, a brief overview in terms of my comments. The, the first one, Chair, is in respect of the um, um, outage, um, electricity outage. I think, you know, it was just glancing at me that... Um, where the report initially indicated that um, staff officials have said that it was um, as a result of um, 
uh, electricity outage or load shedding. But again, <clears throat> the committee found, the panel found that it was actually indeed, there was no load shedding um, and that indeed it was now in electrical internal um, non-compliance. And I think that's, that's quite key. But I also appreciate that the panel has made recommendations in this regard and they have, um, you know, accordingly said that it is gross negligence. And I think that addresses um, my challenge about the gross negligence. Um, but Chairperson, my concern uh, overall is that, uh, and this links uh, pretty much to um, our concerns that we've raised in respect of GPW and the um, uh, audits, uh, in that we know as a committee that uh, they have failed to be able to um, to provide information to the AG in order for them to undertake uh, their audits. And I think if one has to be very firm about this, a lot of what, what the panel has found um, are findings that the AG would have found um, in, in the absence of, of having submitted in time or having submitted to AG for them to undertake an audit. I think it's clear that uh, there were there were there, there were many things that would have been revealed, and I think in respect of that, there has to be some kind of uh, um, process that we follow, and there has to be some action in in, in that respect. Chair, I want to uh, um, also I think it's important to support the recommendations, but clearly we must have a contingency plan. There should be a um, there there should be risk mitigation. Uh, and so I would appreciate and propose that GBW presents to us um, their mitigation in terms of risk um, and also uh, a clear and concise uh, plan um, going forward on how they intend to address this, but also how they intend to, to deal with the recommendations, those that have not yet already been attended to. So there must be a clear plan. There must be clear guidelines, timelines, uh, and then we must hold them accountable um, for that implementation. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Kanyuli. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, Chairperson, we welcome the report by the committee and we appreciate it. Um, I have a few questions, though, that I'd like to raise. The first question that I, I want to raise, I'd like to know what action is going to be taken against the CIO. I understand that uh, the CIO has resigned from the GPW, is no longer employed by the GPW. Does this mean now he's off the hook considering the amount of damage that was caused by his um, action or inaction to ensure that there's maintenance of the system done properly? Um, the second question that I have, I have been uh, partially covered by Honorable Pillay. However, I'd like to emphasize that um, what are the measures are in place by the GPW to ensure that a similar incident does not occur ever again? We would like to get a, a detailed plan around that. Um, another question that I have, I'd like to know from the GPW that what action was 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 taken against the HR personnel when he or she employed somebody that refused to sign a, a contract which I believe was mandatory 
because everybody within the employee of GPW has signed their contract, but there was this one particular um, employee that refused to sign their contract but carried on working um, for GPW. What action was taken against the the, the, the HR official? Um, I guess we will attend to the other issues, Jefferson, when we come back to look at the recommendations. This was quite a lengthy recommend, um, report to be able to grasp all the issues. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Ross. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to the uh, to the presenters for a comprehensive uh, presentation. Um, Chairperson, I, I need to make this point very clearly, and I've made it before, um, about receiving reports very late on the morning of a meeting, the night before a meeting, and now receiving a report literally during the meeting. And I don't see anything in this report that tells me that we couldn't have received it in advance. So I want to understand why we did not receive this PowerPoint in advance. It's virtually impossible to look at 30 slides of stuffed with text and try and unpack what happened and make meaningful contributions. So chairperson, we, we need this PowerPoint slide and we also need the report. I mean, where is the actual report that was produced and when will we receive it? And then, Chairperson, we need to relook at the audit report, as Honorable Palais has uh, alluded to, because a number of you know IT issues have always come up in these audit reports. Um, but it's referred to here a little bit later on, you know, where, where the recommendation is that the CEO gets um, uh, some education in the understanding of the role of the IT function. Um, but you know, th th there was a massive consequence here. Um, what happened is that audit data for several years was lost um, in this process, and it turned out that it hadn't been backed up for years, etc. So, although it, you know a lot of emphasis was on the ICT function, um, it's absolutely key, and the, the, there must be there must be requirements for for audit data and how that is um, stored, backed up, etc. Like I remember when I was in industry, for example, even Every invoice uh, had to be stored in a filing cabinet for up to five years. We had to keep that data in hard copy um, for, for up to five years. There were certain requirements um, in this regard. So, Chairperson, I really believe we need to also go back and correlate, uh, correlate this to the audit report and find out those audit report items that were not addressed year after year. Uh, did they contribute to this? Because it's one thing to to try and blame the CIO and the IT department, but at the end of the day, it is the responsibility of, of the accounting officer. So, Chairperson, we have a, key, a national key point. It's a security printer, and it's it's clear that it's run like the Wild West. It's actually quite frightening. Um, Chairperson, I think, uh, you know, there's the question of, of why um, the, the off-site backup of this critical audit data wasn't in place or whether it crashed in the same at, at the same time. Um, I, I, I was just trying to see if that was addressed, um, if we can just get some indication of that. I, I seem to remember there was a slide about CSIR, et cetera. And when we went to visit that site, they'd spoken about the fact that they did have a, <clears throat> a, a backup DR site. Um, but clearly that, you know, that wasn't being updated. But I just want to get an understanding of, um, you know, 
it, it was mentioned as a as a as the line item, um, but was data recovered off that, or was it completely lost? Even the uh, even the backup, and and what happens with um, with our service providers in that case? Because part of that kind of role of a DR and a, and a backup is that those systems need to be absolutely reliable. Um, so was with that offsite backup, was there an SLA with the service provider? If the data was gone, then what is being done in that regard? Um, because this also ties up to the, the question of, you know, between in 2019 and 2021, uh, that there appears to have been absolutely no backups. Um, then in terms of the forensic audit of, of DAC systems and uh, Intervate, um, certainly agree. I, I don't know if that was on the final recommendation that was shown in the slides. I don't know if that's part of the, the recommendation as well, if we just can get clarity on that. Um, and then I'd also like to get an understanding. Um, there's a recommendation for disciplinary action against uh, uh, Ms. Moyer, who was the acting CEO, um, from what I gather, 2017, 2018, um, around that time period. Um, so the recommendation is for disciplinary action for reckless disregard of business continuity. Um, so what, what is the difference between that acting CEO being charged for reckless disregard of business conti continuity and the current CEO merely being cautioned to understand the role of ICT? I mean, surely the CEO should understand business continuity um, and implement that. Are, are we saying that because there was... Uh, allegedly no budget or because of a DPSA process that um, it was allowed to be the case that there, no backup was made whatsoever. I mean, nobody could even go and take a hard drive of a thousand rand or 2000 rand, plug it into the system and at least take a, a hard copy backup. And then finally, um, when this uh, was first discussed in this committee, um, the Minister of Home Affairs had suggested that this was not an accident, but that there was sabotage. And I just want to get an understanding of whether this was uh, investigated, um, that uh, was possible sabotage uh, investigated at all, or was just um, negligence by IT officials uh, investigated. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable uh, Hwasa. Uh, Honorable uh, Mudise. Thank you very much, Chair. Chair, till this day, the entity seems to be having difficulties in complying with the requirements, uh, the, the AG's requirements, so to say. Now, it, 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 this report then gets to prove or show you that uh, there is no effort uh, from the entity to, to mitigate the risk or to ensure that such incidents don't repeat itself. The ESCO has failed dismally to take decisions and act promptly to the request of the ICTs. And as a result, that has led to an incident of the system cracking, which uh, we are not getting even now. That Are there any uh, preventative measures that are, are put in place? Now, it makes one wonder also that with this current management, 
or with the with the with the CEO uh, having been uh, in case, what measures or what kind of man- management or leadership is she providing? If she's unable to, can be able to 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 ensure that the department or the entity is run uh, or its governance is in place. I think, according to myself, that the current CEO should also be held accountable. We welcome the recommendations and we urge the the for the department to act uh, promptly in implement implementing these uh, recommendations. Clearly, there is no uh, proper governance or management in the entity, and it fails to follow simple procurement processes and lacks supply chain management contracts, as the report or the findings have, have said. These findings are very serious, Chair, and should not be left unattended. Serious action must be taken against all those that are found to be at fault, and also the entire EXCO must take responsibility for this mess. Chair, we welcome the report, and we want to urge that the recommendations we should, as a as a, as a portfolio committee, make sure that we do a follow-up and urge for a prompt and, 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 and serious action being taken, and we must make a follow-up on these recommendations being adhered to. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Can I check, Honorable Lukwase, if you're back? Yes, Chair. Thank you very much, Chair. I'm sorry I'm having a problem of network connections. Taking you from what Honorable Mudise has just said, I'm sorry I've not been part of the presentation. But based on what she has just said, also as the portfolio committee, we must make, as she's saying, a follow-up closer eye to the implementation of this recommendation the department. And at some point towards the end of the year, the department must come back how far they are with the with the implementation of the of the of the recommendation. That's all I can say for now. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, Mr. Malabi. Uh, you will have might have noted uh, issues. Uh, you will uh, with the team um, who are in the meeting. Um, uh, assist each other to to respond to the issues that have been have been have been, have been carried. There are four issues which I wanted to also raise, uh, uh, but I think they've been uh, roughly dealt with by um, Honourable Pile. The one matter is on the uh, financial year 2019-20 and 2020-2021. Um, and the report indicates that uh, the uh, the financial data that was lost is uh, will not able to recover it, if I understood it correctly. Um, I, I wanted to get an indication from the panel in terms of how will it impact on the Auditor General's process, um, and to what to what extent or how long will it take to uh, reconstruct uh, this uh, 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 financial uh, uh, data uh, that impacts on the 
uh, ultra general uh, uh, process? And to what extent, given that they've concluded the report, have they interacted with the uh, with the AG? And I I I I get the sense in your report that you are indicating that some of the recommendations that are coming from the from the AG. But I wanted you to zoom on on the issues that I've just referred on what in, it will impact on the other general. No, sorry, on the, the AG uh, for a period uh, 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 in the government printing works. The second point is on the works that they've not been concluding the report. And I think uh, you, you, are, you, are, you have been favored with powers to interact with all the institutions that are involved on the, on the process of investigating the governance, the entire governance system of the government printing printing works. What are the delays? Uh, um, I, I know, well, it will not determine that, but your understanding of the delays of the works to com- conclude the, the report, because your recommendation to some extent may uh, 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 direct that there may be law enforcement agencies that may not to pursue certain uh, matters. So what made your understanding of this, the works uh, delaying to investigate, because this matter arised even in our last, uh, uh, I think in the last financial year, when this matter was brought to our attention, the minister did respond uh, on this matter of the works and to the extent that uh, they are not uh, uh, faster uh, uh, to deal and give a proper report. And your report also articulate to that effect. We are raising this point because the committee seemed to be aligned to implementation of recommendation. Um, and outside this matter of the uh, hawks, what are the uh, implications uh, uh, on the on the on the on the matter? The last one is on the uh, recommendations. Um, the we're saying that the understanding of the report suggests that EXCOM must make sure that all the recommendations are in place. And I'm not sure in terms of the, uh, because the report talked to the entire system of uh, government printing works. How will you, they, they oversee those recommendations, implement them, uh, whereas the same report um, uh, talked to uh, the errors that have been committed by some in the system and perhaps those that have, 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 have left. And I'm raising this point because you do indicate that you need to caution the, the GM and the current CEO on particular issues. Um, and that responsibility, where does it lie? Uh, uh, in some of the issues. Uh, the committee earlier on took uh, a view, uh, it was not necessarily decision, but a view that they may consider to uh, refer some of the issues to SCOPA uh, um, so that we're able to assist government printing works to get out of the issues that uh, you have recommended. And what is your attitude uh, uh, towards that, because we have taken a view that the institution that we are overseeing, uh, 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 Home Affairs and IEC, 
and the current printing works, we must make sure that uh, what they present to the committee in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the APP or the strategic framework on how we must uh, increase the uh, the footprint of government printing works as a, a parastatal. And you know that is the most important parastatal of a, 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 a government that generates its own revenue. But we need to protect the system and its governance uh, in the main. But the human resource that preside over the execution of the, the institution, we, we, as you recommend, must be thorough adherence to the law uh, and the policies of that uh, that, that institution. So I just want you to get an understanding of that uh, from uh, from, <coughs> from the report, and then uh, we'll then have a, a, a process on how we deal with this thing. We must con- assist the government principles because when we end the term of office as parliament, at least there must be a sense of the work of the collective of this committee including the minister and the initiative that yourself as the team, uh, task team, you have taken and in, 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 in put it on the on the on 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 this process. I'm going to invite you, Mr. Malabi. You'll introduce the team who uh, or um, uh, you'll just indicate who's in the team that they will respond and they'll get responses uh, from uh, from 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 yourself. Um, and the other issues will deal with it when. We're developing a time frame on how we're going to track implementation of the of the reports. Thank you, Mr. Malabi. You can come in. Okay. Th- thank you, uh, uh, Chairperson uh, and members. And the questions that have been raised against the report. Uh, I'm with uh, Dr. Sevilla, uh, Dr. Siswana. And uh, uh, Ms. Boatwright, and I think they will assist in answering some of the uh, questions. Uh, Dr. Mutawi is not here today because he's writing exam. Uh, on the first question uh, by Mr. Pillay, I think most of them were just comments and uh, and the process of contingency plan and risk mitigations, clear plan, plan clear guidance. Uh, uh, we, we, we recommend that a, a, a contingent. First, let me say, uh, I think this dovetails also with the implementation of the report as raised by other members as to since we uh, observed or made a finding that there was poor governance, who's going to recommend this report? And in our detailed report, uh, there is a recommendation there for an implementation team. And then we also uh, indicated the nature of that team. And I think that will assist because indeed, uh, there was poor governance at GPW. And I think the, 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 the charter that we noticed at GPW, because we, we wanted to know on the basis of what was operating at GPW, and the only charter that we were given 
uh, was signed in June 2021. So before that, there was no charter exco. And in fact, we were told that up to around 2017-2018, there were no formal exco meeting. Uh, the secretary to ESCO informed us that he couldn't get minutes, minutes prior to 2019. So it indicated that there was a total collapse of governance at that level. And uh, that will cover most of the issues that were raised by uh, 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 Mr. Pillay also adherence to Auditor General's report, it's very difficult to get information from GPW. Uh, we insisted and insisted until we got critical information. And uh, we even wrote a letter that uh, if they don't give us that information, we will make an adverse finding against them, especially related to the, uh, uh, the contract that we mentioned that we wanted. Uh, a forensic audit on uh, because there were deviations from that period until 2020 and then uh, when we wanted to know based on what were you making this division because there's no original contract and uh, uh, no direct answer was forthcoming from GPW staff and uh, the question raised by uh, Mr. Ross, that is uh, that the report is that most of them are, are concerns, but then there is the question of consequence management, uh, that uh, Ms. Moyo is said she must be disciplined, and but the current CEO is said she must be educated. Uh, uh, this was a difficult decision for the panel to make uh, because when Ms. Moyo uh, took those decisions, he knew that uh, uh, he didn't establish that there were no requisite skills at GPW. And then as a consequence, GPW was left undercapacitated. And we felt that as a panel that she should have ensured at that time that the requisite skills were in place before she terminated that contract. And uh, uh, failing to do so put GPW at, at great risk. But then overall, uh, when we came to the decision on uh, the current CEO, uh, we found that uh, it was not through negligence of the currency or, or failure to exercise oversight. Because we even asked the CIO, why, why, when you were faced with these problems, didn't you go directly to the current CEO and say, we are facing these issues and you need assistance? And he indicated to us that he never goes to the current CEO's office. In fact, they meet at ESCO. And we found that very strange. So there was clear that there was a very toxic relationship between him and uh, the CFO and this, I mean, the CEO, current CEO. And the current CEO indicated that uh, 
there was nothing that he re- no reports were received from ICT. He insisted on being expressed to what is happening in ICT. Uh, but then most of but viewed this in the context that most of these issues didn't happen under the current CEOs uh, acting as CEO or after having been appointed as CEO. They happened uh, during Ms. Moyo and Ms. Mayor's period. That is where all those things happened. And there were duplication of uh, functions, functions concentrated in the CFO's office until uh, 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 the advent or the arrival of the current CEO at, GP, CEO at GPW. And problems started when she started to ask for contracts. Uh, the contract register, when she was first in strategic management, to ask for those contract registers, which were then uh, all grouped under supply chain management, which was managed by uh, uh, Mrs. Mayer, SCFO, and SCEO. And there were even issues related to that uh, uh, non-separation of duties, because during interview, we even asked Mrs. Mayer as to why did you sign documents as CFO and CEO, and she indicated that there was nothing wrong, it's allowed, and there is no way where it says you can't sign those documents. So the current CEO came when already things has been happening in GPW, and she was trying to put things in order, and she met with this toxic, distant atmosphere that was there during that time of non-accountability. So uh, these are issues that uh, we leave to the uh, executive authority to see how it deals with the situation because this report is for the executive authority. We can't take away his executive powers. He should consider how he deals with the, uh, the issue of the currency or in educating them about uh, seeing to it that issues are elevated to his level whenever there are problems. Uh, uh, the CSIR backup cited, uh, uh, I mean, the backup DR cited CSIR. Uh, Dr. Sevilla can respond to that. And uh, they can intervene forensic audit. Uh, Dr. Uh, Siswana will respond to that. And then uh, uh, I think I've dealt with the business continuity that was raised also by Mr. Rose, I mean, Honorable Rose. And then uh, the assertion that by the Home Affairs Minister that uh, uh, what happened was not an accident but sabotage. This, uh, in our first meeting with GPW staff, especially ESCO, this is also what we were informed. Uh, but upon further probing, being, uh, there was no in, uh, submission that came in that regard to confirm that indeed there was sabotage. But then from the turn of events, when you look at the awareness, 
of the, the, the ICT staff of things that were happening and were left unattended. Let me take, for instance, the electrical installations at uh, Pavilion 2, where the crash server was housed. Uh, those installations were first identified in 2019. And uh, there was a stage where uh, the, the acting CEO uh, then, Mrs. Mayor, said, uh, they should be resolved before the end of 2019. And uh, he want, she wanted a breakdown of how they were going to be resolved, how the Oricon report was going to be implemented. But that was not taken any further. And even uh, Home Affairs uh, wrote to the CIO to say uh, the non-complying electrical installations at uh, Pavilion 2 are interfering with their tech refresh uh, program. And even then, the CIO didn't attend to those. And in fact, uh, they went up to December and uh, most of the staff went on holiday. And DHA one again wrote a letter around that time. And the CIO, current, the CIO responded to say that, no, everyone is on leave. Uh, they will see to it when they come back in late January, February. Unfortunately, that is the time when, uh, 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 from that you can see that uh, there, there was a clear foresight that such an, an, an this thing, uh, collapse of the server uh, would happen at any time. I remember there was even an interview where uh, he stated that uh, when we inquired why didn't he want the Oricon uh, recommendations to be implemented, uh, and he refused that uh, they must switch off the server. And we asked him why didn't he want to switch off the server. He said he knew that after switching off the server, data might not be recovered. So there was an awareness by the a CIO up to that time when the server crashed, that it could crash at any time. And there was even a warning from the infrastructure specialist that that server was one foot in the grave, but there was no agency in migrating that. Leaving the support and maintenance contracts to lapse and in the ICT business, it, it, I mean, you're spilling anathema to those infrastructure because they can crash at any time. And the, the infrastructure specialist even said when he had support and maintenance contracts from the original equipment manufacturers, he didn't have problem because they even have spare parts at hand. And at any time when there was a, an issue regarding ICT, you will phone them and they will come and fix the issue. So... Also, that is why we are saying that there must be a, a, a forensic audit regarding uh, uh, the issue of uh, collapse of that server and how the data disappeared and how uh, uh, there were no backups uh, for that data for that period. Uh, uh, this the question by Mr. Uh, uh, Honorable Mudise. 
audit requirements, ESCO failing. I think I've already responded to that. And uh, uh, the action against the current CEO, I think I've already responded to that. And then the uh, uh, Dr. Sibia, can you respond to, to, to the issue of the backups? Okay, so you have Dr. Svia, Dr. Suswane, and uh, Ms. Wright. Uh, Mr. Malabi, are you, there's Dr. Svia? Yeah, Dr. Svia, CSI backup site, and uh, Ms. Boatwright will, will respond to the report of the Hawks and why they were not taking such a long time to okay. deal with cases. No, no, thank you, Dr. Sbia. Can proceed. Okay, thank you so much, Chair. Am I audible? Yes, Dr. Sbia. Okay, thank you so much. So, yes, uh, the CSR side, uh, the ICT team informed the panel that um, it wasn't a DR site. Uh, what they had there, it was servers which they set up temporarily. Uh, to remotely back up their their data connectivity, which was uh, which was uh, too too low, so even the sending the data wasn't that efficient. But what they informed the panel about is that the 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 servers there, the, the backup servers that they had there, they also had issues before the incident, so nothing was recovered from those servers that were based at the CSIR. Um, and then the okay, but the panel wasn't finished with the report uh, of the incident that led to the uh, collapse of those servers that were they were utilizing there. And then the the data that they they were they managed to recover, uh, they informed the panel that those uh, that data was from the tapes. So uh, they had issues with backing the data from the Eva. Uh, to tapes, their backup uh, tape library had issues, uh, but they had a way of, of writing or of still being able to back up the data into the tapes. So the data that they've recovered up until to November 2019, they informed the panel that they, uh, they recovered the data from the tapes. So, uh, so those are the measures that they uh, say they had in place as a, as a backup in the absence of uh, on the question of SLAs they did not have any SLA uh, as a backup service provider at that stage before the incident thanks okay. thank you Dr. Spear uh, Dr. Siswan uh, uh, thank you Chair and uh, uh, good afternoon to all the members of the committee and uh, greetings to the minister and the, the panel members. With with regard to the innovate, uh, I think the innovate uh, uh, conduct. I think this matter is. I think um, chair alluded to it, but let me emphasize one thing, or maybe two areas that I think uh, we the panel concentrated on. It is simply the process of the appointment and also the absence 
of the critical information that wanted, especially the contract and the continuation of uh, um, uh, deviations whilst there was no contact in place. And that was, to us, was, was a critical matter. So it, it was down to the issues of uh, following uh, separate chain management processes and making sure that things are done properly. But also of concern is that uh, we did not also we did we did not get also the the uh, the contract uh, uh, deck systems contract, but they were part of the of 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 of, of the of the um, uh, GPW, especially uh, around the ICT. So those are the areas of concern. So chair, uh, I think the critical point that let's get it to the if, if if let's get it to the forensic process and make sure that we we. We, we, we try and get to the bottom of it, it will reveal what actually happened during that time. It might involve other contracts in the process, we do not know, but uh, that forensic audit will answer uh, uh, questions. The other second point that I also wanted to talk about uh, is that uh, with regard to the information that was lost in financial information, I think the the, the, the issue that you raise around the impact that it, it will have in, in um, during the, uh, in the audit processes. Um, I think it will have an impact, but uh, let me also indicate that uh, the, w- during our, the time when we're busy with, um, as a panel uh, within the GPW, we were informed that uh, the, the, the accounting officer and the team, they were busy reconstructing the, the information. Or the uh, the data lost. Um, so uh, we will probably the CIO will 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 will, will report that matter at, at a later stage. But we're informed that they are uh, reconstructing the information. But indeed, it, it, that lost information will have a negative effect on the <clears throat> on the audit process and the outcome of 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 of, of the audits in general. Thanks, sir. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Siswana. Uh, Ms. Wright? I think I'm... Yes. Ms. Ms. Bishop, on the question of the hogs. Sorry, Chair, I was just trying to um, unmute. Um, Thank you. Um, Minister, Uh Chair, members of the committee and members of parliament, with regard to the matter relating to the Hawks, um, as, as was indicated in our, in our presentation, the matter related specifically to the theft and loss of, of human resources information in terms of CVs and applications, the uh, Ms. Borsi had in actual fact interacted with the Hawks and hadn't registered a criminal case. She has had, an, an, based on information provided to us, as at the date of our report being um, drafted, the matter was still pending an investigation um, with the Hawks. The internal investigation, however, that was that was conducted was finalised, and with regard to um, the four officials that were identified in terms of negligence and dereliction of duties, um, written warnings were allocated. Um, so, as far as the investigation of the Hawks is concerned, it is still pending. Okay. Is that uh, okay. Mr. Mare? I was saying, Chair, uh, uh, 
Advocate Mujanku is always is also available and he can deal with other governance issues. And the question raised by uh, Honorable Kanyile uh, to, to uh, with regard to the uh, departed CIO that he is just left off the hook. Okay, uh, she can. Okay, Advocate. Uh, um... Gumbi, I think you can come in. Thank you very much, Chair. The rule was that we should show our face at the beginning, and I'm following uh, the rules as laid out by the Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Minister Chair and Honourable Members. I'll be very brief. I just wanted to very quickly just uh, give a context. When the, the committee was established, this was four months after the event, and the equipment that we were supposed to to check was gone already. It had been taken out of the country, this server that collapsed. So this, this uh, task team depends entirely on the, on the information we gathered from the experts about what happened to the actual hardware. And what they say to us is that the reason why the hardware failed is because the disks were not properly loaded, cleaned before being loaded, and, and, and all of that. So there was an actual problem with the knowledge of the people who were doing this. And this is the CIO and, and the person well, who... I'm, I'm not, sorry, sorry, just to interrupt, uh, Advocate. I'm, I'm, uh, maybe we, you may need to switch off the video so that this will benefit uh, uh, from your comment because yeah. I think you got you got disturbed by this network problem. Thank okay. you. Sorry, sorry about that, Chair. No. So no, I was can... saying, that, yeah. So Mr. Aplany and Mr. Bezadenhold loaded these machines. I would simplify that. They loaded the server in the wrong way. So that's a primary reason why the server collapsed and did not maintain the environment in which the server is located properly. So by the time we arrive on the scene, that server has been shipped off abroad. So even this allegation of sabotage, we there is very little, there was no backing information, but we could not ourselves make an independent assessment of whether somebody interfered with the server. So that's the first set of facts. The second one is that if you are a chief information officer, you are part of the most senior in any organization, most senior management. And the one thing that you do, I say, when you wake up in my view, chairperson, honorable chairperson, is that you have backups running almost daily. And and because these machines do crash, so you must make sure that your backup is functional, operational, and can be accessed. That's the, that's the mark of a good chief information officer. That did not happen in this case. The final point I want to make, uh, the two points is that whoever is still in the system is going to be followed up. Whoever is not in the system, I think the department and GPW will also look at means 
to make sure that such people are followed up, especially as the Auditor General reconstructs this, uh, this, uh, this uh, 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 what happened and looks at how they look at these financial documents and all of that. We, we met with Treasury as well, and the team from Treasury had said they will also work with the Auditor General to see that GPW uses original slips like invoices and all of that to reconstruct the documents. But the final thing I wanted to say, Chairperson, is what was raised by Honorable uh, uh, Honorable Rose, that the, the panel does not want to treat GPW staff differently. It's the facts that influence that. Uh, the former acting CEO, Ms. Mayor, was, uh, Ms. Ms. Moyo, pardon me, was asked specifically by the CIO, Mr. Plenty, to say, can we cancel these contracts of people who are supporting us? I think I'm ready. I have enough staff in my department to take over the functions. And she did. In a, in a, in a way, just said, okay, just make sure you follow SEM procedures and, and everything, but go ahead. So she was the CEO. She gave the go ahead for contracts to be ended without herself making sure that Mr. Aplin, can I just see how many people you say you have? Not just come and tell me you have people in your department that will take over those functions. Whereas with the current CEO, when Mr. Apleni came to say, I think I need uh, to beef up my department, there already was a process of restructuring and beefing up the GPW and a request had been sent already to the minister to capacitate and set up a new structure. And she said, okay, we've already done this. Please discuss this with the HR manager. And this is what Mr. Aplani didn't do. So there are different facts that apply to both of them. It's not the intention of this panel to try and absolve one over the other. And I hope that it will, I hope that the honorable members will understand why there are those different findings. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, uh, advocate uh, Gumbi and the entire team led by Mr. Sibia um, no Malabi uh, I think what is more central that is coming clearer uh, is to distinguish correctly the role of the current CEO and the former uh, CEOs in terms of the uh, processing of decision and inheriting uh, process decision um, uh, to the uh, to the uh, to the government printing works, Minister, I want to get your comment on the issues. Um, then we will able to work towards uh, appreciating the process that we must uh, follow, Minister. Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to uh, uh, the report by the panel and the good work 
chairperson from my introduction when I said I'm worried about uh, the status and the, the, the stage, rather, of GPW while we are saving so many countries. Uh, from where I'm sitting, I think the recommendations are enough to, to deal with that part. I'm quite satisfied. I'll personally oversee the implementation of the recommendations, especially from the expert panels of the of the uh, various organizations that were engaged to make sure that uh, GPW uh, doesn't revert back from to where it is. Second, person, I'm aware already, uh, uh, and I thought maybe the panel should have reported that, uh, of the fact that quite a number of the issues that they've mentioned here, that happened 2017, 2018, 2019. Uh, myself and the current CEO, of course, were not there yet, but I'm happy that quite a number of them have already been done and reversed. For instance, the issue mentioned about Mr. Kube and Mutli holding two positions, which is very unsafe, bit adjudication and bit something. That has already been reversed. Quite a number of the shortcomings uh, have already been dealt with or are still in the process of being dealt with. I will personally foresee that. Lastly, Chairperson, on the issue of lost data, yes, they clearly said it's not recoverable and there are not even instruments in the open market to recover that, but it can be reconstructed. And I'm aware because I've been in touch with the CEO that he has instructed the current CFO, Mr. Ian van der Merve, to sit down and reconstruct because Mr. van der Merve battled, battled uh, very hard to try and get this original contract of the countries that companies that were mentioned here, and they were nowhere to be found. So he struggled to reconstruct, but he has already reconstructed. The financials of 2020-21 were reconstructed and they've been submitted to the Auditor General. At the moment, he's finalizing the reconstruction of 2021-22 financials, which will be submitted in due course to the Auditor General. So all in all, I will make sure, Chairperson, uh, that the recommendations and the corrections are made because we can't have a, a government printing works that is so important, not only to the country, but to most part of the continents, uh, being in this, uh, uh, having this type of gaps and problems. As to the issues of people who have already left, like Mr. Ablani, in my view, Mr. Ablani's living was not innocent, unless I'm making a wrong judgment. How can he immediately after being confronted with the fact that he lied and told us, told uh, even the portfolio committee about the power search? And, and when the panel shows him the evidence that he was lying, immediately thereafter, he resigns. I tried myself because when the CEO told me Mr. Aplani has submitted resignation and I knew that the invocation is going on and is going to come, I become very suspicious. Why is he resigning immediately after being interviewed? I wanted to stop it, but I I I I I, 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 I consulted labor experts who told me that you can't stop a person from leaving an institution if they so want to leave. You have got no legal grounds to stop them. So what is left is find out 
what is our recourse? Is there a recourse to the law, criminal or what, for somebody who damages and, and immediately when they see that, you just resigned? I, I've see, I'm seeing quite a lot of that in home affairs at the moment because, as you know, we are now applying consequence management and people are getting scared. On the last issue by Honorable Ruos, yes, I said it, uh, that uh, they must go investigate sabotage. This is because a former member of GPW actually said that in an in in, in affidavit that this thing was not sabotage. I mean, sorry, it was not an accident. It was sabotage. Now, the panel did not find a, a, a smoking gun of sabotage, but they found gross negligence. In my understanding, you can sabotage an institution by de- neglecting things that you're supposed to do. And gross negligence uh, can be a form of a sabotage. But uh, unfortunately, they could not point up and say deliberately this person sabotage, especially because the equipment was already shipped out. So that I made that statement on the strength of somebody who is working there who said, no, accidents didn't just happen. You know, it's not an accident. It's an accident that was waiting to happen and people were aware of it. In a way, Mr. Malavi is proving that, that the CIO was aware that things are about to happen. Somebody told him that something is, is already one foot into the grave, but still nothing happened. So it becomes very difficult to find the distinction between sabotage and negligence. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. Uh, thanks very much. And thank uh, 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 Mr. Malawi and the entire team uh, for the good work uh, that you have uh, uh, conducted and presented to the committee. We really appreciate uh, the, the efforts uh, and your time for accepting that responsibility uh, given by the by the minister, and I must uh, say, the minister, we observing your uh, continuous good work, uh, including other issues that are involved in the Department of Home Affairs uh, with your collective uh, deputy minister and the DG. We must uh, appreciate uh, that uh, work. You will extend our uh, appreciation to the team led by uh, Mr. Malawi uh, for for having considered to make sure that the, the challenges that uh, we were received from uh, anonymous uh, people or other sectors of society in relation to the issues that are involved at the government printing works. Secondly, the committee is affirmed that uh, we must make sure that all the recommendations that have been put forward are implemented, uh, Minister. And we need to get update in terms of the progress to some of the issues that could have been carried. We are fully aware that already there were corrective measures in terms of the previous report at the level of the Executive Council on some of the areas in relation, in, related to, to governance and also related to the audit process. Issues that were raised by members cautioning the minister and the government printing works are the issues that collectively must make sure that we strengthen the system uh, governance of government printing works as one of the important institutions that also is finding footprint in terms of their uh, business uh, outlook. We will, towards the end of the year, Minister, uh, uh, 
invite the yourselves and the team uh, to track the uh, progress in terms of the implementation of recommendation. Uh, towards the end of the year, Mr. Matonsi will schedule down printing works uh, so that we're able to, to demonstrate the work that has been done by this task team that is implemented. And errors are corrected uh, at the government printing works. Clean governance is what is on our uh, center of our, uh, our resolve as the, as, the, as the committee. We need the full report uh, that must be submitted forwarded to all members so that at that particular time we're able to um, um, further trace and deliberate on the progress that could have been made uh, by, by yourself and your team that has been recommended uh, in, in, uh, by, the, by, by the report. I want to leave those three issues and I see the hand of Honorable uh, um, uh, Kanyile. Uh, then we'll then close uh, the, 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 the meeting. Honorable Kanyile? Thank you, Chairperson. I'm sorry, I'm struggling with network. I'm trying to unmute myself. Chairperson, I wanted to ask that we be provided with the full report of the current investigation. Um, I think it would be proper that we support these recommendations after we have seen the full report. I am saying this because when Ms. I think Majoko, I apologize if I'm pronouncing your surname incorrectly, was responding, indicated that they were appointed as a panel four months after the incident. And when they went on site, they found that the equipment was taken out of the country already. So they're making these findings based on the advice from the experts. So I think as a public representative, it will be important that we make an informed decision to avoid ourselves being sued. Um, may even after our period has lapsed as members of parliament, I have seen incidents like that happening. So I humbly request that we be finished with the report before we can um, fully support these recommendations. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, what we are saying uh, as a committee that the report has been presented to the committee. Investigation that we have approved as a committee. And the recommendations that are before us, we can't stop recommendations because are sourced from the process that they've engaged on. Then the, the minister and the team will send a full report to our attention. Unless uh, Honorable Kanyele suggests that uh, at all, this, this report we must, not, we must reject it. And that is not, is not going to assist the process that we've been uh, uh, taken and approved as the, as the committee. Let's firm up the recommendation of the report, trace implementation of the report, and the minister and his team must come back to the committee end of the year, towards the end of the year, to give us progress on the report. In the course of action, if the recommendations are contrary to the process that has been uh, uh, engaged on, that update we receive from the from the team when we they come back to the portfolio committee. We are correct that we must make sure that by end of the term of our office or of our work as a public representative, we must make sure that collectively the issues that we've ex exerted on 
for uh, and, and as part of oversight are implemented. And recall that uh, the committee have taken a decision that will, uh, uh, in September, do what you call an, a direct interaction with the Home Affairs to recap on all the issues since the sixth parliament, which are involved in Home Affairs, Government Printing Works, and IC, to develop our own um, report in terms of the activities that uh, we have been able to do that. So this report, we accept it and uh, we uh, allow the recommendation to be implemented as this team has been uh, uh, recommended. And the minister will come back uh, with the uh, update on the progress made in our uh, next, uh, uh, later in the year. Mr. Matonzi will schedule that, 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 that point. And the full report must be immediately be sent to all members. Is that our understanding, uh, Minister? Yeah, yes, Chairperson, we do understand that uh, there's no way we could wait because uh, work needs to go on and we will be in a position to report to you uh, the progress. But just to also further allay the fears of Ms. Kanyele, when, when they say they went in four, four months after the incident, it's not because there was nothing happening within that four months. Remember, a lot of experts were called in to try and help because we thought at that time this was an ordinary this was an ordinary disaster which happened in the course of event when you have got machinery and when you have got ICT and experts will help. The committee came into being when somebody tipped me that minister, what happened there is actually acts of support that it's not just a an accident that can happen with any ICT. That's when then I wrote to the president to ensure him, because this is a national key point. It's a very important structure of government. I wrote to the president and informed him about what I had and the possibility that somebody might be supporting a national key point. It took some bit of time when he then responded and said, Minister, go on, appoint a team on your own. Uh, he said he, he was told that I've got powers to do so by legislation. That's when then I did it and I put the team together and they started the work. And that's where we are today. So it's not because during that four months, nothing was happening, everything was just neglected. It's because nobody suspected that somebody might have deliberately made things to happen that way, rather than just uh, things happening during the course of events of any IT system, which the report shows that any IT system can crash anytime. So, so that four months period is not because everything was just left uh, to, to happen on their own. So chairperson, yes, uh, we, we will be ready and prepared that in September we give you a, a progress report on, on, on the, I mean, on the, uh, 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 on what we have done about this recommendation and how far we are. Thank you. No, thanks. We'll also, um, uh, uh, as we interact with the Auditor General uh, during the, in the year, uh, interface also with the, with this report. Uh, Mr. Malawi, any closing remark? Yeah, uh, thank you. I just wanted to correct uh, what has been raised by uh, Ms. Uh, Honorable uh, Kanyele that the, the EVA has been shipped out of the country. No, the EVA is still there. It's only the controller, the, uh, one controller, 
that was shipped out of the country by HPE uh, for, for, for this thing, for destruction, because uh, it was HPE's policy that uh, whenever uh, uh, one of their components is no longer in use, uh, it should be destroyed so that that information should not be compromised and be used for other purposes. So the EVA was still there when we went into GPW. And also, last, I just want to thank the committee for giving us this opportunity to present our report before it. Uh, we know we were not an investigative committee, we were a probing committee. And then our recommendation uh, up to the executive authority to accept or reject. And uh, we appreciate that up to so far, everyone is happy about the findings and the recommendations. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Minister. You'll send the, the report so that members are able to zoom on some of the issues uh, in the course of uh, work. Uh, so at the time the departments come back on the progress update, at least we have satisfied ourselves with the details of the of the report. I want to take this opportunity to thank all uh, honourable members for having uh, participated on the two key items that uh, the committee was convened to to, uh, to look at the electoral amendment and this report of the task team led by uh, uh, Mengumbi and uh, uh, Mr. Malabi in the collective. And thanks the minister uh, for having uh, um, uh, uh, established this uh, committee that has done exceptionally well. And we're looking forward to assist as members of the committee, as a collective to make sure that uh, the errors that we committed are corrected. with the intention uh, to tighten the system uh, and the clean uh, uh, governance. Um, I want to take uh, this opportunity to thank all of you, the IEC commissioners who have already left, uh, and the team, uh, legal team, and the state law advisors for having considered to stay with us uh, uh, this long. Mr. Matonsi, thanks very much. We'll then be able to structure our uh, the issues uh, that are before us of this investigation report, task team, and circulate to members and track the date towards the end of uh, uh, the year so that they come back with the uh, recommendation. Thanks very much, Mr. Matunzi. Is there any other matter, Mr. Matunzi? Let me come back to you. Uh, this is Adam. Um, Eddie was uh, kicked out during, during load shedding, but we've taken note of all the issues. Thank you, Mr. Salmon. Thank you very much. Uh, the meeting stand agent. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Members. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thanks. Thanks.